Allow me to reintroduce myself. My name is Ho. H to the OV. I used to move snowflakes by the OZ. I guess even back then you can call me CEO of the ROC. Ho. Fresh out the frying pan into the fire. I be the music biz number one supplier. Flyer than a piece of paper bearing my name. Got the hottest chick in the game wearing my chain. That's right, Ho. What's good, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Amatella for TIS podcast with your host, yours truly, Jai Shields, here on this Tuesday, on this Tuesday, November the 14th, the year 2023, jam-packed show for you as per usual, week 10 recap, the Bengals, the Ravens, the, the Bills, the Jaguars, the Chargers, all lose uh in heartbreaking fashion uh outside of the jaguars all of them by a field goal as a matter of fact which is the first time that's happened in 104 year history of the national football league lots to get into with that of course the Bengals have me bothered preview their pivotal thursday night game between them and the ravens that a little bit later on as the program progresses and uh, i'll get into michigan in terms of their just disgraceful uh, unbecoming, pompous, arrogant, tone-deaf, delusional behavior and attitude from the coaching staff to the players to the to the Michigan alumni stands, all of them. I, just I, I I couldn't believe the foolishness I saw in the last forty-eight hours over the weekend. We'll get into that, and of course, the game itself between them and Penn State. And James Franklin, uh, Mr. Boy Genius, going for two. Uh, we'll get into him as the program moves along. An all-football show for you here in the middle of November as we are about, what, eight days away, uh, eight, nine days away from the uh, from the Thanksgiving holiday here in two thir- ten days, actually, to be specific, because it falls on the 24th. Uh, ten days away from the Thanksgiving holiday here in November of 2023. Let us begin with the Cincinnati Bengals and their loss against the Houston Texans on Sunday at home, snapping their four-game losing streak. And I'll get into C.J. Stroud's greatness, and I'll get into D'Amico Ryans and the job that he's done with the Houston Texans football team, currently sitting as the seventh seed in the AFC playoff picture. I'll get into that a little bit later on. But it's about the Cincinnati Bengals, obviously, because I'm a diehard Bengals fan for the last 15, 16 years, as you guys well know. I do the defense first, because the defense at the end of the day was the one that gave up 30 points and allowed C.J. Stroud and uh, Singletary, the running back, to move the ball down the field with, uh, with little to no resistance whatsoever. So I get to the defense first. The Bengals' defense, and it's been a problem, and it was a problem in September. It was a problem in the Titan game. And it became a problem again. The, the Bengals' defense, they can force now, and we praise Coach Lou when they deserve to be praised after the San Francisco game, the Ram game, the Buffalo game, the Seahawks game, the Charger game. We praise them. We got to critique them. And for as genius as Coach Lou is in terms of in terms of his second-half adjustments and how his defense is able to flip the switch on a dime and force turnovers, whether it be fumbles on the ground, interceptions. As much as we give him praise, 
there is a drop off with this year's Bengals defense compared to defenses the Bengals pass. And the first thing that sticks out like a sore thumb is that this team cannot stop the run under any circumstances. They they can they have absolutely have had a horrendous time stopping the run. You go to the Raven game, you go to Nick Chubb and, and the work that he put on them back in week one. They can't stop the run. Devin Singletary, 30 carries for 150 yards on the ground, ran for a touchdown. C.J. Stroud ran for a touchdown because they had no QB spy there uh, it, down by the goal line. 34 times the Houston Texans ran the football. They ran for a buck 88 and averaged five and a half yards per carry. It's just a, 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 it's, it, that's just deplorable football. Absolutely deplorable football. They can't stop the run. And it, and I had this epiphany after the game on Sunday night. You know, Larry Ogunjobi, who was a key part to the Bengals defense back in the Super Bowl year two years ago in 2021, who was one of the primary reasons why the Bengals were able to have such a successful defense and why they were able to nullify the rushing attack from from the top rushing teams in football that season, the Ravens, the Titans, uh, you know, the, the Raiders with Josh Jacob, just to name a few. And he and they let him go in free agency, and he's now with Pittsburgh. And you look at this defense, especially how they performed against the run this year, and they desperately, desperately, desperately miss him. They 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 miss they miss him like no other. They and he should have been retained. Why we didn't? I have no idea. And again, Duke Tobin's done a, done a fantastic job as a GM for the most part but not retaining Larry Ogunjobi, his piss-poor young replacements at safety to replace Von Bell and Jesse Bates in the tight end position. I mean, that, 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 that's three key holes on our football team that I look at that I say, Duke, my God, man, what, what the hell are you doing? It's not just the inability with Cincinnati stopping the run. They gave up way too many explosive plays. The Houston Texans offense recorded 17 explosive plays, tied for the fourth most in explosive by tied for fourth most explosive plays by an offense in an NFL game since the year 2000. That just, just it, that just absolutely under any circumstances cannot happen under any. It just it, it can't happen. C.J. Stroud had a sensational afternoon, 23 of 39, threw, th- threw for 356, threw a touchdown pass, average, average nine yards per pass play, only got sacked one time. That's the strip sack I get to in a minute. The Texans collected up 544 total yards of offense, averaging nearly seven and a half yards per play. C.J. Stroud pushed the ball down the field, Averaging a career high of 11.9, damn, you might as well say 12 air yards per pass attempt. He was 11 of 19 for passes that had over 10 yards of air underneath them for 259 yards. And five out of seven of his deep passes, a combined 146 passing yards. That's that that that's that's disgusting. Disgusting. And I should have, and this is a bad job on my part, not bringing it up on Friday's show. But did you guys know, and were you guys aware, that the Cincinnati Bengals defense this season allowed 20-plus yards on 11.5% of opponent attempts in the passing game? 
third worst in the National Football League. The Houston Texans, heading into this game on Sunday, threw for 20-plus yards on 35 out of 280 passing attempts this season. Second best in the National Football League. We give Coach Lou credit. We give him credit on how well his defense is against top-tier competition, how he how he put Brock Purdy on his ass, forced turnovers, didn't allow Chris McCaffrey to take over the game. We give him credit for that. Having Josh Allen's head on a swivel, and we'll get the M in the Bills performance later on, but how he had the how he had the Buffalo Bills offense uh, over a week ago on the ropes, we give him credit. But there is a glaring, gaping hole in his defense this season, and it's the explosive. It's straight up the the explosive pass plays. The most explosive pass plays allowed by the Bengals in the last two seasons. They allowed five plays uh, to Pittsburgh last last November. Last November, if I can get the words out, for 137 yards. Back in October against Seattle, they gave up five for 141. Who can forget the Tyler Lockett catch that put him on the uh, on the plus side of the fifty yard line, uh, which nearly ended up costing them the uh, ended up costing them the game a month ago in the Seattle game. Uh, back on Monday Night Football, Week Three against the Rams, five plays for a buck sixty two. Halloween night, that Monday Night game that blew out last year, five plays for one seventy two. The Forty Nine er game, eight plays for two hundred and thirty four yards. The Texan game, eight plays. 211 yards. That's not good. That's not good. And somebody has to explain to me, whether it's Tobin, whether it's Zach Taylor, whether it's Lou Anaruma to DC, I, I, I've seen enough, seen enough of Nick Scott. Okay. He is 88th, which is dead last, according to pro football, pro, pro football focus in terms of Corners ranked, and or excuse me, defensive backs ranked in the National Football League. He's 88th. That's dead last. Jordan Battle has shown some signs of promise. He's got to get more. He's got to get more snaps. He is dead last in PFP rankings by defensive backs. Dead last. Dead last. Nick Scott, horrible. He can't. He he is. A, he's a horrible run defender. It's just. It's enough. Get get Jordan Battle some snaps. I want to hit up while he's a second year guy, inexperienced. Bullshit. Get the man. Get the man on the field because Nick Scott ain't ain't ain't, ain't cutting it. He 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 timed the Singletary run first play on the opening play coming out of the half. He timed the run perfectly. Only the buck. Only he got got his knees buckled, fell to his knees, and allowed Singletary to run for 12, 13 yards. He timed it perfectly. All he has to do is just be coordinated with his legs, and that's a five-yard loss. He's terrible. Terrible terrible in pass coverage, terrible at stopping the run. It's enough. It's enough. Pass rush was non-existent. I don't know how many times Coach Lou called, you know, cover zero, Cover zero, all-out blitz, pass rushers, whether it's Mike Hilton, whether it's Trey Hendrickson, BJ, they don't get home outside of one play. And they couldn't get off the field in third and long. Texans on third and 14, this is with 7.30 to go in the second quarter, had the ball at their own 46-yard line, 7-7. They convert on third and 14. Stroud finds Dalton Schultz for an 18-yard completion. For whatever the reason, the DBs 
safeties, corners alike, weren't protecting the sticks. It's third and 14, okay? At the very least, prevent defense and make sure that nobody gets to the, gets to the first down marker. Instead, they leave a hole open. Dalton Schultz takes advantage of it. 18 yards, first down Houston. Fortunately, they had the force. They had the C.J. Stroud uh, strip sack a few plays later. Didn't amount to anything. Fast forward late in the final minute of the second quarter, third and thirteen. Stroud, who does he find? Noah Brown to move the ball from Houston's thirty-eight yard line inside Cincinnati's thirty. No pass rush. Blown coverages left and right. Houston kicks the field goal, goes into the halftime locker room, up 10-7. Can't happen. Cannot happen. Then on the final drive, they convert on a third and six. Defense, Logan Wilson, Jermaine Pratt, linebackers, middle of the field, nowhere to be found. Cam Taylor Britt, Logan Wilson allows Boone when he makes the reception on first and 10, he allows him to work himself out of bounds. CTB is guarding the sideline and Logan Wilson is breathing down his neck. He allows Boone to stay on his feet, avoid the tackles, and at least ride the defenders out of bounds to stop the clock with 15 seconds left. And then on the second and five, to put themselves in field goal range, which essentially put the game away, missed tackles by, guess who, Nick Scott, and Jermaine Pratt, receiver, somehow breaks free. Already got the first down, but breaks free. It gets deeper into Amendola, who's an XFL inexperienced kicker. Get deeper into his range. Converts on second and five. Amendola, field goal good. Texans win the game. A horse shit performance from the defense. Horse shit. And everything that I saw Houston do against us, I saw him do it the week before against Tampa Bay. The end around runs, C.J. Stroud on the broken play, scrambling in and out the pocket, buying time for his wide receivers. His receivers with their with their uh, with their uh, excellent route running ability, making themselves and running themselves open to get C.J. Stroud to throw the football to him. Good pass protection, giving C.J. Stroud all day, all night, all month, all holiday season to throw the football. Awful. Awful. Now, give him credit. They had battle, had the deflection. And again, why he ain't on the field when he had the deflection to give Cincinnati the ball back with about two minutes left to go in regulation. CTB made a hell of a play, and the one lone screw-up fumbles aside from C.J. Stroud was the interception, which, and he's going to learn this, and I guarantee you they're going to drill it into his head tomorrow when he pulls up to the facility if he he hasn't had that spoken to him already in the last two days. C.J., under third third and short, we're running the football effectively well, a, a first down gets Cincinnati to start using their timeouts. You can't, under any circumstances, throw the football, especially when you have a, when you have a corner trying to bait you in man coverage. 
that, that you know that's that, that's playing a hovering soft zone. You, you you can't you can't take the bait on that. And if it was not for the tackle on CTB's run run back, the game would have been tied. Now they're able to. The game would have been tied. Battle deflects it. Bengals the ball right back. Tyler Boyd, 65-yard run. They scored it, you know. But if CTB doesn't get tackled, game's tied. Game's tied. So we give them credit because they made plays to keep Cincinnati in the game. We give them credit for that. But still. No excuse. Well, game is tied. I apologize. The game isn't. I'm getting. I'm getting my drives mixed up. They don't tie the game on the interception. They don't tie the game on the interception. Instead, he picked, so my mistake. I made. I'm, that's that's my that's my my fault on that interception pick six. You know, it made made no difference. I'm getting I'm getting the I'm getting the plays mixed up. Battle had the, battles play was second. CTB's interception was first. My point is, give them credit. They made the two plays that kept Cincinnati in the game. Give them credit for that. And again, CJ Stroud will learn from that. But the defense, all in all, was was absolutely deplorable. Deplorable. And they're gonna have to complete one eighty. If they have, if they think they, ha- you know, they ha- they have a, a a hell of a chance, hell of a shot to beat the Ravens on Thursday night. Conversions on third and longs, broken plays, pass rush got home once, couldn't stop the run. Too many explosive and broken plays going for big gains for Houston. Just terrible, absolutely terrible. So the Bengals' defense is culprit number one. Culprit number two is, and again, we sit here, same shit, different toilet when it comes to the Cincinnati Bengals' offense. One-dimensional. They don't run the ball. They don't try to run the ball, especially on first downs. Vanilla, bland, predictable play calling. Just awful. They scored a touchdown on the opening drive. They ran the ball one time in that drive. One time. And it was that damn toss play to the outside that I sat up here and screamed and yelled after the Buffalo game and telling them to specifically not to do because the damn play doesn't work. Toss play to the right, mixing goes nowhere. And it's almost as like when they do once in a blue moon run the ball, they run it in such a fashion. And the times in which they run it, it's like Callahan and Taylor are saying, oh, hey, we run the ball. You can't say, oh, we didn't run the ball because actually, you know, if you go to the box score, we actually ran the football against them. 
uh, they, they, we ran the football against them for a grand total of uh, 16 times. So you can't say we didn't run the football. We ran it 16 times, and if we didn't run the ball 16 times, bro would have threw 56 passes instead of 40. <laughs> Bullshit. Bullshit. It's not that they don't run the football. They don't try to. And when you don't try to run the football and you make it known to your opponent, the opposing coaching staff, the people in the stadium and watching on TV, when you make it, I mean, they might as well before every, when they come out of the huddle, they might as, they were better off telling Houston, we're passing, we're passing, get get your pass defense, we're passing. Tell tell D'Amico Ryan's in his headset. Yeah, D'Amico, yeah. We're uh, first and ten. We're lining an empty set shotgun. We're going to throw the ball underneath to uh, Tyler Boyd. Or we're going to hit uh, Hudson or Mixon for for a uh, for a cross for a uh, for a bubble screen. I mean, because that's how vanilla and how predictable their play calling was. Did you know that the Bengals are second to last in rushing attempts per game. They they rank 31st in the National Football League in rushing attempts per game at 21. Only the Washington Commanders run the ball fewer times than we do. And for those of you that say, well, bro, making a whole lot of money, uh, you know, he's your best player. You want to take the ball out of his hands. It's that and the third things that, you know, my guy Russo yesterday tried to tell me. Oh, die. I mean, he's a, a high-spec quarterback in national football. Like, best player on the field. You want to take the ball out of Joe Burrow's hands and run him out of Joe Mixon? I mean, Jay West. I mean, what are you doing here? Well, let me give you this stat. The top three teams that lead the league in rushing attempts. Not rushing yards. Rushing attempts. Top three teams. Cleveland with the most at 35. Averaging 35 rushing attempts per game. Baltimore with 32. Philadelphia with 32. The combined record of those teams this season, 21-7. and Cleveland, Baltimore, Finn, Philly. 35-32-32. Combined record, 21-7. and And oh, by the way, over this past offseason, the Ravens and the Eagles gave their respecting franchise quarterbacks the bag. Cleveland with Deshaun Watson two off seasons ago. And I understand that they're running quarterbacks and Burrow's more of a of a cook of not a cookie cutter, but more of a pocket passer than Jalen Hurts and Lamar are. But you still get the idea. Ravens and Eagles are both playing that quarterback a tremendous amount of money. The best players on their respective offenses, face of the franchise, franchise quarterback, top five highest paid players in the league, and those offenses run the ball. Why? Because it keeps the defense guessing. It keeps them on it, 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 it keeps them on the defensive, no pun intended. Keeps your options open in terms of what you what games you can the type of game you want to call from an offensive perspective keeps the defense honest. If we run the football and they get akin to it, they go, "Oh, 
Well, I, I guess when they run the football, which means, well, we got to stack the box. Extra extra defensive linemen, extra, run, extra linebackers. Put one safety back deep. Say, okay, they're going to run the football. We got to stop it. And eventually, because it's human nature, they they try, you know, coaches have can have a tendency to kind of guess what the offense is going to do. And they guess right. And the offense goes up to the line of scrimmage and goes left. All of a sudden, not enough DBs on the field. One safety high, cover zero. You just never know. And all of a sudden, oh, Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd. You can stretch the field and throw and, and throw deep bombs to your heart's content. And you and that's when you rack in the yardage, rack in the chunk plays, flip the field, and score touchdowns. That's why running the ball is important. And it does this offense zero favors if they go pass, 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 pass. Pass, 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 run. Pass, 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 run. Pass, 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 run, run. Pass, 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 pass. Does them no favors. You become predictable and one-dimensional as French toast. You have to be more complex and more creative with alternating between the run and the pass. And when you do run the football, I am sick and damn tired of the toss stretch plays to the outside. Run the football inside. And I can see the way Joe Mixon has gotten these four, five, six, sometimes seven-yard runs. He, the dam is about to break. You would figure if you gave him the football enough times throughout the sequence of a game, He'd go, uh-oh, a run might, might break his way. Run might break his way. All of a sudden, you get a, a 30, a 40, 50, 65, 70, or even 80-yard run to the house or into the opposition's side of the football field, break inside the red zone. You just never know. But that won't be the case if you don't at least attempt to try. And the Bengals don't try. They run the ball to say, hey, we ran the ball. And then you look at the box score and the ball's in Burrow's hands 35, 40, 45, 50 times a game. It's damn exhausting to watch. And word to the wise, if you're Callahan, if you're Zach Taylor, there's literally zero point in calling and running play action if you don't run the ball consistently. Again, like I said, the whole point of how, and you hear the age age old adage, the run opens up the pass. Why? Because when you run the football, the closer the opposing defense plays to the line of scrimmage, which means outside the numbers, over the top, middle of the field, wide open. Why? Because your safeties, your free safety, your linebackers, the extra defensive linemen that you might bring in 
especially in short yardage situations. They come in, the defensive coordinator, defensive play caller stacks the box, close to the yard of the line of scrimmage, play action, they bite, take the bait, think it's going to be run. You have a receiver, and what you got, Jamar Chase, one of the best top five wide receivers in the National Football League, if not the best. For a perfect example, he's open. Boyd is open. Irwin's open. Higgins went healthy. He's open. You're running play action when all you do is pass the ball consecutively. Who? What? What? What defense? Guys that have played football at the very least for um, for a minimum four years at the college level, and those that have played it throughout high school, JV, and varsity, Pop Warner. Junior high, if their middle school has a has a football team, play football all their lives, have watched football on TV for the most part, most of them all their lives. Football fans growing up played Madden in their younger years. Who who's who's gonna fall for the bait? I do nothing but throw throw the ball on ad infinitum consecutively. And I call play action. What expecting expecting the defense that is gonna run the ball? At that point, you're just going through the motions. I mean, perfect example. Mixon, five-yard gain on second and seven. This is early second quarter. Five-yard gain, second and seven. Sets up a third and two. This is with 9.14 to go. Second quarter, tie game. They had the ball at their own 33-yard line. They go empty, shotgun set. Burrow attempts to throw the football 15 yards ahead of the line to gain, a la the Super Bowl. Why? I have absolutely no idea. Hudson catches it, doesn't get two feet inbound. Bengals forced to punt. Well, hold on now. You're rarely giving Joe Mixon the football. Give him the football on second and seven. He gets a five-yard gain. Third and two. Either line up in the I form or in the single back formation. If he got your five the previous play, I would think at least if you do the math properly and just split the baby in half, if he gets your five, you split it in half, he gets you about three and a half yards. Third and two. You give him a ball a second straight time. He gets the first down, and who knows what happens. Or if you're going to throw the football, that would be a good time to do play action with Burrow lining up under center. And you have Mixon go out in the flat, curl routes, shallow crossing routes, drag routes, slants, and you make sure you get that two, three, four, five yards. You don't chuck the ball 15 yards downfield by the side down the sideline when you only need two yards. Dumb. Dumb, dumb. Opening drive, third quarter. First play, screen pass, out of shotgun. Gains one yard. Second play, play action. After they threw the football on first down and shotgun. Play action and shotgun again. Boy drops the ball. Third play, empty set shotgun. Burl sacked. They got a punt. If you don't think that the one-dimensional offense isn't an Achilles heel with this team, you're not paying attention.
You're not paying attention. Wasted turnovers. I waste. They wasted turnovers in the Buffalo game. They wasted turnovers in the San Francisco game. They wasted turnovers in the Arizona game. Left points on the table. They they and I can go back to the 21 season with them leaving points on the table and them escaping it. And then it later coming back to bite them in the ass. Super Bowl, they they left points on the table and couldn't put up touchdowns instead of field goals and three and outs off of interceptions. Raven game, same thing. I go on and on and on. And again, same shit, different toilet Sunday afternoon. The, the Texans botched the snap on fourth and one inside the red zone at the end of the first quarter. We recover it, get the ball back, Three and out. Then the sack fumble on the third and six with 533 to play in the second quarter, but the game's still tied at seven. First play of the drive. Burrow, what did they do? Empty set, pass play, out of the shotgun. Second play, Burrow sacked out of the shotgun. Third play, third and 14, and they get nothing. Nice little 12, 13-yard reception to Jamar Chase, and they got a punt. They turn over the football three times, and the Bengals only got seven points out of it. Or, no, three. Because the interception led, because the interception, no, I was right the first time. Seven points out of it. Three turnovers. They won the turnover battle. Again, they got three points off of turnovers. Three points off of turnovers. They were one of three within the red zone. They were six of 14 on third downs. It's got to be better. If you want to beat the Ravens on Sunday, got to be better. No excuse. Absolutely no excuse whatsoever. None. None. And again, Zach Taylor out the lunch. First of all, Brian Callahan, he gives a quote. And he says yesterday when he met the media, quote, not only did we not have T, but we did know how much Jamar could play going in. The full bag of tricks maybe wasn't applicable. Brian, 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 Brian. A, you said the quiet part out loud. So you basically told us as fans, among other things, that you guys were, you know, went into battle with a Swiss Army knife instead of an AK-47, and you left yourselves out to dry because you didn't prepare yourself or the team with your piss poor game plan. So you basically went into the game with one arm tied behind your back. And if you knew that, be that as it may, but if that's the case, if you knew you don't have T Higgins, if you know that Jamar Chase may or may not be a contributing factor to the offense, what do you do? You run the damn ball. 
So not only does it make Callahan look worse because he and Zach Taylor look and showcase, and they were unprepared, and they weren't coached properly, and they didn't give their team and put their team in the best position to win, which is coaching malpractice on their part, but it also, again, strengthens my argument of why this team has to get off their ass, put the ego aside, put the fact that Burrow's making half a billion dollars, Joe Shiesty, franchise quarterback, you know, best player on the team, have him, you know, give him the ball in his hands 99% of the time and all that other, and all that other gooberish, inconsequential nonsense and run the damn football, especially on good and fucking well that you had no T Higgins and you weren't, and you didn't know what you were going to get with Jamar Chase. And still, they were hell-bent on having him throw the damn football damn near 40 times. Exactly, specifically, actually, 40 times. Did you guys just bring Joe Mixon back because he was a clubhouse favorite? He, he took a pay cut and was willing to come back for a reason. He's on the roster for a reason. I understand he's not Jim Brown, but damn it, find a way to use him. And not just with screen pass plays out of the shotgun. Give him the damn ball so he can run it. And sometimes in games like this, when your defense doesn't have a damn clue, your best defense is your offense. And what did teams do during the days of Kansas City? Their early days, their rise to glory phase. When they had Tyree Kill destroying opposing defenses and they averaged 28 to 35 to 42 points per game. And Mahomes was throwing for 400 yards in his sleep. And Kelsey and Hill combined 300 receiving yards damn near every single game. And what was the method that teams had to stopping them from the offensive side of the ball? Run the ball. Work the clock, keep him on the sidelines, and win the game within the battle of time of possession. If your defense can't get off the field on third downs, they can't get after the quarterback, they can't sack the quarterback, and and Hurts is just picking the secondary apart like he was on Sunday. And you're basically, you're like, we're trying our best, but more times than not, when he goes out there on the field, he's going to move the ball against our defense. It's just, unfortunately, the way this game's going is just the way it is. You know what you do? You know how you adjust? You run the football. If the game is tight, which it was, the Bengals trail no more than, what, 10 points in this game, if I have that read correctly. They trailed no more than 10 points, 10-7, Twenty to ten, or twenty to seventeen, twenty to ten, and then twenty to seventeen. Well, like the Bengals were down seventeen, twenty-one points, twenty-four points. They were down ten. So as long as the game was within reach, which it was, what do you do? You shorten the game. More so earlier. You don't wait till the fourth quarter to do it. You do it in the second, the third quarter. You keep. Stroud in the offense off the field for as much as you possibly can. You eat the clock. You win the time of possession game. You wear out the defense. 
Then also in turn, what happens? You open up the play action. You open up the pass game. You can stretch the field and throw the ball to Jamar Chase and throw the ball to Trent Irwin down the field and throw the ball to Tyler Boyd. That happens. You're able to stretch the field and take advantage of one safety high over the top. The cover, the, the beatable cover one defenses. They stack the box expecting run all out blitz like we saw in the Bills game last night. No safety help over the top. Mono amount of coverage. Effort. Jamar Chase is down there somewhere. And nine times out of ten is going to come down with the football. Or draw a pass interference penalty. It all correlates, people. I understand that there's elements of football that's complex, that's hard, that's difficult, easier said than done as us as fans. But the nuts and bolts of how to be good at this game hasn't changed. And it's and it's Ray Lewis, a Hall of Fame linebacker, the greatest defensive player in my lifetime I've ever seen. Greatest linebacker in my lifetime I've ever seen. Says it ad infinitum. It's a simple game. And too many times has Zach Taylor, has Callahan, has Staley, and all these other coaches that are making football in 2023 out to be trigonometry. They're making it more complex than what it needs to be, more complicated than what it needs to be. You got to have a a high IQ. And you can't you can't be no idiot in order to succeed at this game, either from a playing or from a coaching standpoint. But you're not an astrophysicist for NASA, okay? It's complicated, but at some parts of the game can be complicated, but it's not impossible. You're not you're not splitting the atom. You're, you're not an astrophysicist. You're, you're not you're not the top surgeon at Hopkins. Okay, it's a simple game, and it seems like the Bengals invent new ways to make life complicated for them, more complicated for them, more hard for them than what it needs to be. And it has to stop. Zach Taylor, I mean, again, he buoyed 65 yards to flip the field. What does he do on first and goal? He has Burrow pass out of the shotgun for the 9,000th time. Instead of running the ball on first and goal and making the Texans use their timeouts. Why pass on first down? Why? You just passed the play, the two plays before. Run the ball. Give it the mixin. You're at the 10 yard line. Give it the mixin. So he gets it to the five, gets it to the four yard line. Keep the clock moving. Make Houston. Call their timeouts. And I know that they call the timeout after the sack anyway, but a sack is a quicker play than Nixon running the ball for three, four, five, six yards. It's quicker than to go, said Hut, 
One Mississippi, two Mississippi, Burrow goes down. Then said Hut, wall off to Mixon. Mixon get, takes the handoff. He gets to the line of scrimmage. He makes his move, keeps his feet, keeps his feet pumping, keeps his feet moving. He jukes, he spins. You don't know. Run the ball on first and goal. Instead, he throws it, Burrow gets sacked, and then he erroneously calls a quarterback draw on second down from the same damn formation. It's insanity with these people. I swear to you sometimes. QB draw, Burrow gets nowhere. Again, quick play that virtually takes no time off the clock. Houston calls their second timeout. Third and goal. You have to score. Your last chance for you to, to go out in front. Burl drop or excuse me, Boyd drops the pass on third down. In completion, Houston saves their final timeout. Dumb. Dumb losing football. Not to mention the wasted turnovers. The wasted turnovers, which we racked up ad infinitum. And then Burrow's interceptions. Overthrows Sample, too much zip on the ball, overthrows him, goes right through his hands, nearly an impossible catch. We were good drive, in rhythm, throws interception. First and 10, 940 to go, fourth quarter down 10. Have but at Houston's 35-yard line. Too much oomph interception. Then we get the ball back. He erroneously throws it into triple coverage into the end zone on first and 10 with four minutes left. We had the ball at Houston's 14-yard line. And this is after they got an unnecessary roughness penalty on Perryman when he went and he hit Jamar Chase and put Jamar Chase's head into the turf. We move up all the way to Houston's 14-yard line, inside the red zone. It's first and 10 with four minutes left, down 10. Why are you so – I understand that time is of the essence, but, bro, if the play's not there on first down, throw it away. You throw it away, you eat the down, nothing bad happens, and the clock stops. And you don't lose any yardage. Instead, he rolls to his right, rolls to his right, rolls to his right, while also ignoring Joe Mixon, who was wide open in the flat by the sideline about about four or five yards away from the first down. Doesn't see Mixon just standing there, wide the hell open, force a pass into triple coverage, gets intercepted. About 10 to 14 points. They were down 27-17 on both occasions in the fourth quarter. That's 10 to 14 points thrown away by two mistakes. If the Bengals get 10 points at the worst and get 14 points, best case scenario, it's either a tie game or it's 31-27. And advantage, Cincinnati.
battles deflection. Or Cam Taylor breaks interception. Throw in the Mixon's touchdown after the CTB interception. It ices the game. Why am I bringing that up? Because I heard it ad infinitum. And I tweeted. So you can't say I didn't get on him and I'm giving him a pass. I ain't giving nobody a pass. He had the drop on second down in the first half. And he had to drop in the end zone on third and goal. But I am not going to make Tyler Boyd out to be out to be, you know, a domestic terrorist because he dropped the pass on third and goal. When if it wasn't for him having a 65-yard catch and run, we wouldn't even been in the red zone to begin with. And I tweeted right then and there at the time, Tyler Boyd, I'm paraphrasing myself. Tyler Boyd, you got to catch that shit. I tweeted it at the time when the ball ricocheted off his hands twice. I tweeted it in all caps. You can check it at the J Shield on Twitter. I tweeted it. But I, at the same time, I'm not going to sit up here and make this is not Jackie Smith, Super Bowl 13, Colts Steelers. Okay? This is not that. Super Bowl 13. This is not that. I'm not going to sit up here and, 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 oh my God. Oh, how in the world? And, and, make it, and make it seem like that that cost us the game. Because as I've sat here and documented for damn near the last 50 minutes, there were so many things that went wrong and attributed to the Bengals losing that game. Tyler Boyd's drop is like, at the bottom of the list. Poor defense, not being able to get off the field on third and long. Run defense inefficient. And Burrow's two interceptions. Burrow's two interceptions on Houston's side of the 30-yard line and deeper, 35-yard line and deeper, that's 10, 14 points in the fourth quarter, down 27-17, thrown away. If we get at the very least ten points out of those two throw out of those two wasted possessions, the game is tied. And if we score fourteen points following the battle deflect the CTB interception and the battle deflected pass on third down, the game is over. Boyd should have caught the ball. I grant you that. Should have veteran been in the league a hot minute. He's got to catch the ball. Wide open third and goal game on the line. He, looking for a contract after this season. He's got to catch the ball. But this is not Jackie Smith. Okay? He shouldn't even have been in a position for him to catch that ball. If Zach Taylor and Callahan know what the hell they're doing. If Bro doesn't throw two interceptions. To flip the field. If the defense knows how to get off the field on third and 13 and third and 14. If the Bengals offense doesn't waste not one but two CJ Stroud fumbles. 
and get zero points combined out of it. Tyler Boyd's drop probably wouldn't even have happened because the game would have been over or it would have been in a position where we got to sit on the ball and run the ball to run the clock out to get the Texans to use their timeouts. And we haven't won anything. Oh, four-game winning streak. Don't panic. Five and four before. Well, hear that. The NFL and the AFC is different in 2023 than it was last year and two years ago in 21. It's different. Teams, it's, it's more congested. More competitive product in terms of the level of competition within the teams in the AFC. I mean, here are all the, listen to all the teams that have four or five wins or more. You ready? You ready? The Chiefs, the Ravens, the Jaguars, the Dolphins, the Steelers, the Browns, the Texans, the Bengals, the Colts, the Bills, the Raiders. 11 out of 15 teams have five wins or more. And if you want to include the Chargers, Jets, and Broncos, 14 out of the 16 teams, those teams are only two back of Cincinnati in the loss column. Two. The Chargers, Jets, and Broncos. Those three teams, two games, separates them and Cincinnati. And 11 teams out of 16 have five wins or more through the first 10 weeks of the season. The Bengals are 1-4 against the AFC, 0-2 against their division. And with every loss, our margin of error gets slimmer and slimmer and slimmer and slimmer and slimmer. They have the Ravens on the road in two days. They come home Thanksgiving weekend and play Pittsburgh, who somehow is six and three and a half game out of first place. They play Jacksonville. Tough loss against San Francisco, but they're in first place in the South on Monday Night Football. Then play the Colts, who somehow are five and five. The Vikings, who are hot, looking to get a playoff spot. Then the Steelers again on the road the the Saturday before Christmas. Then New Year's Eve in Kansas City at Arrowhead. Then wrap up at home against Cleveland in Week 18, a team they never beat. So I don't want to hear none of this shit about all well, this five and four. They've done it before. Just you know, believe blindly, foolishly optimistic and they're going to win the division, and you will be right back in the AFC Championship game. Like, like all I have to do is Thanos snap my fingers, and it's going to happen. Or any of this bullshit about, well, it's unrealistic to, for the Bengals to, 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 for them to run the table if they want to keep their season alive. The hell it is. Listen, when you lose, when you start the season 0-2 and 1-3, and lose to the likes, your own truth in the division, lose to the likes of the Tennessee Titans, 
on the road, get punched in the mouth in week four and lose 27-3. And then you have to put together a four-game winning streak just to get your heads above water again. I don't hear none of this. It's unrealistic. You know, it's 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 unfair to them. And give a damn if it's unrealistic or least likely to happen or unfair. Give a damn about about fair. You know what I mean? Fair. This team's coming out coming out the coming out of the out of, out of the stall for a second straight consecutive year with their thumb up their ass in September. That's what's unfair. Maybe if this team wouldn't sleepwalk through their Septembers, they wouldn't be in this predicament in mid-November. How about you don't drop the 0-2 within your division and start the season? Don't start 1-3. Don't get punched in the face on the road by the hapless, rebuilding Tennessee Titans. How about that? Because now, and I said it then, and I say it again, now they're in a position where as quote-unquote unrealistic as it may seem, it better damn Skippy get realistic because if they still plan on making the playoffs and having to avoid all these tiebreakers that, that, that don't go in their favor, they have no choice but to win out the rest of the regular season. They have to win every game from here on out. They have to at season's end be 4-2 in the division. Sweep Pittsburgh and find a way to split against Baltimore and Cleveland. They have to beat Indianapolis. They have to beat the Jaguars. They have to beat the Vikings. They have to beat Kansas City. They have to. They have no choice. They have to end the season. On what? An eight-nine game winning streak. Eight game winning streak. They have to. They have to win eight consecutive games to have a prayer to win the division. They have to win seven, eight games in a row to qualify for the playoffs. So they don't have to have to fall detriment. To the tiebreakers that don't that don't float in their favor against Houston, Cleveland, Baltimore at the moment. They have to. And if they took care of business in September and early October, like I said then, I'll say it now, they wouldn't be in a position late in the season where they have to press, where they have to go into quote-unquote playoff mode earlier than they should. To where best-case scenario, ideal scenario for them to win the Super Bowl, they'd have to win eight. You figure four losses, they they don't get the one seed. So you win eight to close out the regular season, two to get to an AFC championship game, that's ten. Three... If you win the AFC championship game to go to Super Bowl, that's 11. 12 wins in a row to essentially win the whole damn thing. They put themselves in this in this predicament. I didn't. The fans didn't. Media didn't. They did. 
So suffer the consequences. Find a way to beat Baltimore on Sunday. No excuses. Find a way to win. It's enough. And CJ Stroud is going to be great. He, he, for him to sit in there, in the pocket, scramble outside the pocket, extend plays to, uh, to give his receivers a chance to make plays downfield. His pocket presence is excellent. I mean, as good as any rookie in the NFL you're ever going to see in your life. Uh, his ability to accurate throws puts it to where his receivers can puts it to where his receivers can go up and get him. He throws his receivers open. His receivers run themselves open. He, and I knew this, and I came on here and I praised him to the high heavens after the Buccaneer game. But for him to follow that up with another master, masterful performance and put together a second consecutive game-winning drive against Cincinnati in the fourth quarter on Sunday, if you're a Texans fan, you have to be grinning from ear to ear and be on cloud nine. 23-39 again, 356 averaging nine yards per pass attempt. One touchdown, pet, one touchdown throw, ran for a touchdown, only got sacked one time and led the game-winning drive at the end of the fourth quarter. CJ Stroud, and I said last week, listen, they're a year away. They're currently sitting right now at five and four, seventh seed, and they hold the tiebreaker over Cincinnati. There is a realistic chance that the, that the Houston Texans can win their division, can not only can make the playoffs and win their division. They, they, they could be in there at a point. They can make the playoffs a year early. I mean, the AFC is that wide open. Stroud is that damn good, and they have that damn good of a talented roster of a bunch of young, inexperienced players and cast off from other teams. And D'Amico Ryan has coached his ass off and done a sensational job coaching that San Francisco, excuse me, that uh, Houston Texans team and put together a defense that's not a great defense but has the ability to make plays and get after the quarterback, they could find a way in, into the playoffs this season a year earlier than I anticipated, which, uh, which is, a, which is a, a testament and a credit to the great coaching job that he's done and to the high elite level that C.J. Stroud has played thus far in his rookie season in this 23 NFL season. But Bengals and Texans is game number one on the on the board here. Game number two, it's the Ra- it's the Ravens and the Browns, and it's 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 and it's the same story with them too. I mean, you, you, I have the two teams that love to beat themselves: the Ravens and the the Ravens and the Bengals. My goodness gracious me! First of all, the Ravens, and let me clear this up, and I'll get the Harbaugh in a minute again, as per damn usual. But let let's put the let's put the the, the 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 jury out there, okay? And you Lamar stands and you Lamar Jackson fan club people, the leaders, and especially you young uh, bandwagoners that would know Ray Lewis, uh, Kyle Bowler, and uh, Jamal Lewis from a hole in the wall. Let me let me let me clear this up for you right quick, please. Okay, Lamar Jackson was he the number one sole reason why the Ravens lost? No. But was he great, and did he help elevate the Ravens to avoid another fourth-quarter collapse against inferior football team? He did not, okay? First of all, the thing about Lamar Jackson, and it's not just this game, but it's something that I've noticed in his NFL career. 
for a guy that says that's essentially the modern day right handed Michael Vick, who's a unanimous MVP winner, Pro Bowl, All Pro extraordinaire, the whole nine yards, his pocket presence at times, man, can be some of the worst in the National Football League where the coverage completely breaks down. And he just has no sense of the pass rusher that's 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 breathing down his neck, that's creeping behind him, that's trying to eat, that's trying to jump his back you know, for the sack or trip him up by by his feet and ankles and and get him down before he has an opportunity to extend the play. It's some, it's some of the worst I've at times. It's some of the worst I've seen in the NFL. His pocket presence at times is not very good. He got sacked in the game on Sunday afternoon three times. Uh, and a bunk, a bunk. I, I tried to combine bulk and bunch. A uh, bulk of them in the fourth quarter, ill-advised. He doesn't throw the. He doesn't, he doesn't have that sixth sense on sensing a pass rush for him to throw the football away and avoid danger and avoid trouble. He was too. He threw. He was had ten incomplete passes through for two hundred and twenty-three passing yards. Two interceptions was I get to in a minute. He had the horrendous interception. It was 17-9 Baltimore, second and one. They had the ball at the Ravens' own 34-yard line, 47, 47 seconds to go before the half. And he inexplicably, whether Zay Flowers ran the wrong route or Lamar horrendously underthrown, a, a gimme interception towards the end of the half, underthrowing Zay Flowers. Fortunately enough for Baltimore, Cleveland gets the ball after these after the Zay Flowers interception and does absolutely nothing with it. And they go into the halftime and they go into the halftime locker room up 17-9 when it could have been a lot worse. He then on the pick six later in the game, he dips his now I originally thought, oh well, bad play at the line of scrimmage. You know, that's I mean that's just a bad bounce, not his fault. Then I go to school Monday morning, my professor who's a Ravens fan and a uh, and also a, uh, a a sports columnist for his uh, for his newspaper that he works for says no 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 that was his fault I was like how's his fault I got to figure line of scrimmage look at his elbow and look at his arm angle when he passes the ball so and I hadn't and and, and when I watched the Ravens game live I got the Ravens game on the left side of the screen Bengals game right side of the screen and as the Ravens are collapsing the Bengals are are you, you know Mister you know Undertaker and suddenly rise from the dead and are attempting to steal the game from it. So my attention is on two things at one time. So lo and behold, I said, okay, well, I'll keep an eye out for that when I go back and I re- and I watch the tape. You know, like the coach said, I go, I keep that in mind when I go back and I watch the tape on Monday afternoon. So lo and behold, I, I'm watching, I'm quote, unquote, watching the tape, rewatching the Ravens game, and I replay, I watched the Fox replay from the Sky Cam. And I saw the 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 play from the broadcast angle about a half a dozen times, and I look at it. I stand up, put my glasses on, get him right top of TV, strictly key in on Lamar Jackson. Lo and behold, is it the traditional over the you know over shoulder over the shoulder regular throwing motion? Lamar is not five ten. Not he's not five eight. He's about six two, six two, six three. Is over the shoulder throwing motion like I presumed? No, I look in, I key in. His arm is at a side angle. His shoulder and his elbow dips, allowing the ball to get off the ground low enough 
We're going to get deflected at the line of scrimmage by OG Boronakanoa, however you pronounce his, however you pronounce his name, the uh, Cleveland uh, pass rusher that jumped up and batted the ball out of the air. Gets batted at the line of scrimmage. Up in the air, Greg Newsom picks it off, runs back the other way for the pick six. To pull Cleveland within one, thinking that they're going to tie the game at 31 apiece. They make sure extra point, and I'm like, oh, all of a sudden the Ravens, that the one, one extra point could be the next extra point could be the Ravens saving grace. It wasn't. I get to that in a minute. Then you fast forward. This is second and eight. They have the ball at the Ravens 27-yard line, 820 going to go in the fourth quarter. Lamar Jackson standing there, second and eight. Does he tuck it? Nobody's open. Does he tuck the ball? Use his running ability. There's a why. If you watch the watch the play, watch the replay from the sky cam angle. There is a clear lane that's paved that's paved perfectly by the center and the right guard. All he has to do is tuck it and run. Mono mono him and the linebacker that's watching with the spy makes one move and it's off to the races for Lamar. Instead, he decides to attempt to throw the ball to Pat Ricardo. Actually, this is on this is not even a separate separate play. This is on the pick six. I'm getting my I'm all I'm discombobulated because I'm so pissed off at the Bengals blowing that damn football game. But anyway, I shall continue. On, on the interception play, does he tuck it and run the ball? Does he tuck it and run it? Does he tuck it and run it? The answer is no. Instead, he dips his arm, allows it, gets deflected at the line of scrimmage, goes back for the pick six. And why he was attempting to throw to Pat Ricard, who was a, who was a fullback, 300 pounds, not very tall, into double coverage by the sideline, I have absolutely no idea. Tuck the ball, run up the chute. There's one linebacker sitting there. It's you and a linebacker, and nine times out of ten, with your athleticism, you're going to win in that scenario. You get the first down, you keep the clock moving, keep the pressure on Cleveland's defense. Instead, Sass throw the ball, bad arm angle, bad release, gets deflected at the line of scrimmage, intercepted by Newsom back the other way, Cleveland pulls within a score. Can't happen. And throwing a Pat Ricard, I mean, come on now. Then you fast forward second and 10, 637 to go in the fourth quarter. Had the ball at the Ravens' 37-yard line. He makes a bad read on an RPO instead of letting Mitchell take the ball and running it to the right, to the weak side of the Cleveland defense on that play. He instead keeps it, which is how Cleveland's defense was playing him to. And he runs up, he keeps the ball, runs up the middle. Cleveland stacked the box, defensive linemen, linebackers all over the place. Reads it like a Dr. Seuss book and gets nowhere. Two interceptions and then the bad read on the RPO. Give it to Mitchell. There's nobody on the right side of the field. You give it to Mitchell. He takes off and runs for days. Said he keeps it right into the teeth of the Cleveland defense, and he gets nothing. 
He wasn't the sole reason why they lost, but he's sure as hell. And when you're a quarterback making the money that he's making, and I hear all this talk about the MVP from now four seasons ago, four years ago at this point, and I hear the talk, and the Ravens fans, some of them, and the Lamar Jackson fans, a lot of them, love to stand on business and puff their chests out and think it's football blasphemy if you say to them that Joe Burrow is a better quarterback than Lamar Jackson. Well, these are the moments where Lamar's got to prove it. Does Lamar Jackson have the MVP and Joe Burrow does not? No. Should we necessar- Should we look at getting to Super Bowl as a participation trophy? No, we should not. But if you are talking about who's better, mano a mano, head-to-head, and I understand that head-to-head, Lamar has outplayed Burrow in the games head-to-head, but in terms of head-to-head aside, how they play against the competition in the NFL and their young careers, you would think in this city, you would you would have thought that 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 you said that Cal Ripken is overrated and Derek Jeter is a is the greatest shortstop of all time, or would have said or would have held up a sign at a Ravens game and said the Ursays are the greatest owners the NFL has. You would have thought that you would have said something so outlandishly asinine. The way people react when you say, yeah, Burrow's better than Lamar Jackson. Just, he is. And when there are moments that are presented to Lamar Jackson for him to prove his fans, prove his supporters right and elevating his team when led by the wonderful, clueless John Harbaugh, when it's time for him to change the direction of the, of, of the sinking Titanic and for him to save his team, we see Burl do it all the time with Cincinnati. We see Mahomes do it at times with Kansas City. Not th- This year, notwithstanding, we've seen Allen do it with the Buffalo Bills. But when there is a time for Lamar Jackson to bail out the idiocy and the self-destructive and to break the self-destruct and to be the a, 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 a band-aid and to be the makeup for the Ravens' self-destructing, self-destructive tendencies in these games in the fourth quarter, instead of him being the solution, he more times than not becomes part of the problem. You saw it in the Indianapolis game where he put the ball on the ground and could move the ball down the field worth an inch and not audibling out of the mind-numbing decisions to run jet sweeps and pass plays when the Ravens need yardage and need to get the Colts to use their timeouts in the, in the Colt game back in late September. The Pittsburgh game where he, held, where he was, was all over the place. Turnovers, you know, inside the red zone, trying to throw a fade route to Odell Beckham Jr. that has no air underneath it. We can go last season, the Giant game, the Dolphin game, be here all night, breaking breaking down his shortcomings. 
You want the great quarterbacks, the top five, no doubt, first bat Hall of Famers that get into Canton who also get paid the big bucks during their active career. Those guys know how to mask and know how to overcome the self-destructive tendencies of one's football team. That's what the great quarterbacks do. The Bradys do it. The Mannings do it. The, Mon- the, the Montanas do it. The Bart Stars do it. The Unitases do it. In today's game, the Mahomes do it. Rodgers did it for years in Green Bay. We've seen Burrow do it with Cincinnati, take that god-awful offensive line to a Super Bowl. So to the Lamar Jackson fan club, respectfully, and the Joe Burrow haters, take the purple-tinted glasses off. You got to look at this fairly and objectively. And Lamar Jackson, more times than not, succumbs to the team's foolishness and self-destructive tendencies instead of rising above them and leading them to win games in spite of the Ravens' flaws and problems. That, my friends, is what separates the great quarterbacks from the very good. And Lamar Jackson thus far in his career has not done that. On a consistent basis, he has not done that. And in the last season and 10 games, in the three fourth quarter collapses, he has not done that. Again, bigger blame falls on Harbaugh, as I've screamed and yelled for years. But the franchise quarterback that wants to get talked about and praised on the level as if he is in the Burrow conversation as being that second quarterback in the AFC to rival Patrick Mahomes, he's got to rise above the defense collapsing and Harbaugh out the lunch. He's got to rise above that. He can't, the rest of the team's collapsing. Let me not do my part and let me just, you know, pour and pour and dump gallons of gasoline onto the fire. When he is there in situations like the Ravens got themselves into on Sunday to put out the fire not add to it and make it worse. And Ravens fans have to get that through their minds. The the Lamar Jackson stands, the Lamar Jackson defenders and apologists have to get the have to get that through their heads. It's nothing personal. It doesn't make Lamar Jackson a bust. It does mean that he can't throw, can't play, that he can't throw, that he's a quote-unquote running back as Bill Polian infamously named him and labeled him to be as a draft prospect in 18. But what it means is that he's got to be better than this. You can't give Lamar Jackson all the praise when he plays well and then coddle him and baby him like he's a, like he's a rookie quarterback. It doesn't work when it doesn't work that way. Especially when you, when every single time you go to defend him, you throw his five-year, four, excuse me, his four-year, three-year old accomplishments in your face in every argument. 
won MVP unanimously, and you give me all the records and the fact that he's up there with Mahomes as having one of the best winning percentages per, with and, and as in all of the starting quarterbacks in the NFL since 2018. You can't throw me that in my face. And then I say, well, Lamar Jackson's got to play better. He helped contribute to the Ravens' loss. No, you're hating. You know what you're talking about. We got to take Shannon Sharp out the Hall of Fame. Now, he's got to be consistent, too. I understand all that. He's got to be consistent and and not be so, you know, MVP one minute and then complete bum and bust waste of a quarterback the next. That's has to be a happy medium then. He's got to be more consistent and not so one extreme or the other. I get that. But to make it sound like that us, you know, football prognosticators and ex-players who are now analysts on television seem to not know what the hell they're talking about because they don't bow at the bow at the statue and bow at the ultra Lamar Jackson, that narrative has got to stop. Because you can't say he's second best quarterback in the NFC that can rival Mahomes and, and, and praise him up to be with the big boys and then shoot him like a little kid. It doesn't work when he, when he screws up. It doesn't work that way. If you you holding him to a high standard means he gets praised when he performs well and he and his feet get held to the fire and he gets harshly criticized when he fails to deliver the goods. That's what that means. Did he play poorly? No. But did he extinguish the fire in the fourth quarter? He did not. He did not. And too many times in the last two, three seasons, that's happened. Highest paid player on the team, face of the franchise, accountability can't be kryptonite. It can't be. It can't be. And I say it all the time, you threw Roman out the door. You threw, you've changed wide receivers. You shipped out Hollywood Brown. Martindale's out of here. There's two people that are remaining from the original union of these two, Harbaugh and Jackson, in, in the second half of the 18th season. There are only two guys left. Right now, it's Harbaugh's ass is on the line. And if for whatever the reason they fall short or they have another playoff catastrophe again and Harbaugh, for whatever the reason, gets thrown to the wolves, they bring a new head coach in here, eventually it's going to be Lamar Jackson, your ass is on the line. It's down to two. It was Martindale. It was, the, it was Martindale, Roman, the lack of talent. Martindale's gone. Roman's gone. New receivers are in here. Now it's up to primarily Harbaugh. I mean, I'm never getting off that theme. But Lamar Jackson's second on the list. Eventually, it's gotta, they got to look themselves in the mirror and say, it's not Wink, it's not Greg, it's not the lack of talent, it's me. Harbaugh first, and then Lamar Jackson there soon after. And speaking of Harbaugh, I thought the guy was supposed to be, you know, and his claim to fame, how he got the Ravens job, what, uh, damn near 15 years ago, was he was, or specifically 15 years ago, was that he was Andy Reid's special teams genius up in Philadelphia. Well, I've seen 
Punts run back for touchdowns in week two. Charlie Jones against Cincinnati. I've seen blocked punts October against Pittsburgh. And I've seen blocked field goals Sunday against Cleveland. 55-yard field goal gets blocked. Interior field goal block penetration up the middle blocks the field goal. Would have made it 20-6 to Baltimore. Field goal gets blocked 17-6. But 227 to go in the second quarter. Cleveland gets the ball back. Short field. They march down the field. Fortunately enough for Baltimore, it only results in three and not six. Or excuse me, three and not seven. Result in seven, it's 17-13, Baltimore. Rock Yassin draws a defensive pass interference penalty. Baltimore's up 31-17, first and 10 with 9.44 to go in the fourth quarter. Moves the ball for Cleveland all the way up to to, uh, Baltimore's 10-yard line. Cleveland gets a touchdown to pull within a score. At 31-24, at they threw the ball consistently, incessantly in the fourth quarter instead of milking the clock, especially when Cleveland had two timeouts remaining for the entire fourth quarter, for, for the bulk of the fourth quarter. They somehow get a defensive delay game on fourth and two with 5-0-5 in the fourth quarter with the Ravens up one. They have that horrendous final offensive drive or that drive late in the fourth quarter, I should say, where Cleveland did not use a single time out because of offensive ineptitude and the offense getting in their own damn way and stopping the clock. Three blown leads in the fourth quarter. 17-16 versus Indianapolis. Fourth quarter, 10-8. Pittsburgh, fourth quarter, 31-17, fourth quarter against Cleveland. Ravens defense allowed Cleveland to gain 17 yards on a second and 19 heading into the two-minute warning. They convert on the third and two and three missed tackles on a first and 10 run by Deshaun Watson. Keeps the ball moving downfield. Awful, awful, awful. They take the ball out of Mitchell's hands, who damn near ran for 200, who ran for damn near 180-something yards, 190, had a tremendous game against Seattle the game before. Sunday, three carries with 34 yards, when he was averaging 11 yards per rushing attempt. They ran the ball collectively 24 times. For a feeble bucko six. Mitchell was averaging 11 yards a carry and only got three carries the rest of the game. Gus Edwards, only 11 carries for 24 yards. Not good enough. Not good enough. The Ravens, two of eight on third downs. Two of eight on third downs. Two turnovers, one of two within the red zone. Blocked punt, or excuse me, blocked field goal, pick sixes. When they got a first, when they got a pick six, literally within the first 20 seconds of the game to start. 
and they give Cleveland a pick six right back in return. But give Kevin Stefanski credit. Smart decisions. He decided he multiple opportunities where he could have went the analytical route, the idiocy route, a la James Franklin, and and thought, you know, let me sit up here and decide to chase points. Instead, he said, no, let me play the long game. Let me trust my defense, kick field goals, take the points that are given to me to put himself in a position to when the Browns scored a touchdown to make it 20 to pull within to pull within seven points when it was 24 17 scored touchdown 24 15 put himself in a position where he can go for two after the touchdown to make it a seven point game smart coach by Kevin Stefanski by him Deshaun Watson bounced back in the second half six to 20 in the first half at 79 yards passing one interception second half 14 of 14 for a buck 34 and a touchdown pass Sensational job by Deshaun Watson. Great work. Cleveland, somehow, someway, six and three, even with the Ravens in the loss column. And currently, the way things stand in the AFC North, the Ravens are in first place by a half a game with the Steelers and Cleveland holding the tiebreaker on them, and Lord willing, us in the conversation, if we split, to pull us to 6-4 and four and give the Ravens their fourth loss of the season. Lord willing, let's hope. The Ravens, they had an 88% chance of winning the game in, Indian, in the Indy game, 90% chance in the Pittsburgh game, 97% in the Cleveland game. And for whatever the reason, took their foot off the gas and allowed Cleveland right back into the game. Eventually, you got to look in the mirror if you're drawing Harbaugh and and put a stop to this nonsense because this this is ridiculous. He's been in the league since 2008, and it's the same damn thing. It's it's the definition of insanity with this team, with this coach. No more excuses for Harbaugh either. Romans out the door, wings out the no more scapegoats. At, at what point do we put the mirror in front of John Harbaugh and say, you, you are the problem? Hopefully, they can do it for the second time in a seven-day week, second straight game, and uh, allow my Bengals to get a victory on Thursday night. We shall see. Boy, did the San Francisco 49ers find, did they find a way to bounce back against the Jacksonville Jaguars on Sunday. And I told you guys this after the Bengal game and said this after the Monday night debacle against the Vikings. The San Francisco 49ers going to be all right. All they needed to do was get, get a week off, get the guys back healthy, Debo, Trent Williams, Get uh, you know the cobwebs shaking out you know with uh, out of Brock Purdy's head. Give them two weeks to game plan for Jacksonville. Allow them to take a step back, breathe, decompress. Look at what went wrong in the Cleveland game. Look what went wrong in the Minnesota game. Look what wrong in the in the Bengal game. Reassess. Make some adjustments. 
and then go in there into into Jacksonville and uh, take care of business accordingly. And that's what they did. 34 to three sensational game out of them. Brock Purdy bounced back 19 to 26, 296 passing yards, averaging for damn near 11 and a half yards per pass attempt through for three interceptions. Only got sacked, uh, only got sacked twice. Christian McCaffrey had a bounce back game, 16 carries, 95 yards on the ground. Could not get that touchdown to uh, break the tie between him and Lenny Moore for the consecutive game streak, scoring a touchdown. But in the grand scheme of things, it's, in, it's insignificant because the San Francisco 49ers bounced back, ended their three-game losing skid, and are 6-3 and three and back in the driver's seat for first place atop the NFC West. Their pass rush and their pass protection, both sides of the ball, they're able. The thing that uh, that caught that bit San Francisco any ass during their losing streak was their inability to win at the line of scrimmage on opposite sides of the ball. Their pass rush was suspect, uh, specifically against Cincinnati, was not very good against Kirk Cousins either. Pass protection was also spotty throughout their entire losing streak against Miles Garrett, against Hendrickson and Hubbard in the Cincinnati game. They had problems. Both sides, they were able to get themselves together and put together a solid game. Brock Purdy only got sacked twice. Protection was solid, allowing him to have plenty of time to move in and out the pocket, remain in the pocket to to allow Kittle, to allow Samuel to get themselves open in the passing game. And then from a defensive standpoint, the pass rush bounced back, sacking uh, Trevor Lawrence five times and had a great day at the office. Uh, the San Francisco 49ers pass rush did um, – Chase Young made a contribution in his 49er debut. Was a sensational job. You give John Lynch credit going out, getting CJ, CJ Stroud, going out, getting Chase Young to help bolster their pass rush, which had a bad three games. They snap out of the funk, have a good day against a team that was riding high on a uh, on a nice, healthy win streak of their own in Jacksonville. George Kill is great, does not get talked about. It doesn't get praised enough as he should because of all the other offensive weapons that's on that team. McCaffrey, Ayuk, Samuel on his own team. He does not he is not the lifeline to for his starting quarterbacks the way that Mark Andrews and Travis Kelsey are for Lamar Jackson and uh and Patrick Mahomes respectively. He does not put up the numbers that Travis Kelsey uh, has and does he? You know he doesn't get the added extra exposure for playing in Super Bowls. Damn near every single year, he's only played in one. Uh, Travis Kelsey's played played in three of them, two of them back to back. But he is pound for pound one of, if not the best tight end in the National Football League. When he's targeted, he gets the ball thrown to him. And the numbers, I mean, he was targeted four times, caught four, caught three receptions for 116 yards, averaging 38 yards per per uh, catch. And he, of course, had the 66-yard uh, touchdown for San Francisco where he cruised into the end zone a la Madden 24 on celebration mode from the 20-yard line on. Mono-mono coverage on third inches. Tr- sensational throw by Purdy and sensational catch and run by George Kittle, but he's great. 
pass rush and the pass protection bounce back for San Francisco. And in terms of the, for the Jacksonville Jaguars, their offense does not blow anyone away. They only score three points. Can I get the ball in the end zone? They struggled offensively against. I mean, look at their look at the teams and the games that they played. They scored seventeen points and got and lost by twenty against uh, against Houston. They scored nine points, couldn't get the ball in the end zone against Kansas City in Week Two. Uh, they scored twenty. You know, they scored in the mid twenties against the Falcons and against Buffalo in London back to back. Uh, they scored 20 points when they should have blown the Steelers' doors off two weeks ago in Week 8, and they come in here against San Francisco. I understand by week, two weeks to prepare, blah, blah, blah. Only scored three points, and they had opportunities to cash in in the red zone, and they failed to do so. The Jacksonville Jaguars in this game uh, were 4 of 12 on third down. That's absolutely deplorable. Only put together 221 total yards of offense, they were 0 of 2. They only made two red zone trips and came up empty in both occasions. 0 of 2 within the red zone. Offensive line wasn't very good. Like I said, the five sacks from San Francisco. Trevor Lawrence has not been talked about a whole hell of a lot this season, but he has been very pedestrian, average at best, mid, as I like to say, in this 23 season. And I and I've seen tweets and I've seen people comment say, "Hey, he has not been." He has not been that that blow-you-away franchise quarterback to the likes of Mahomes and Burrow and even Lamar Jackson here in his young career coming out of Clemson. And to be quite honest with you, they're right. This season, he's completing 70%, 67% of his passes, thrown for 2,120 yards, only nine touchdowns, six interceptions. I mean, he's had a, a quarterback rating, if you're into that stat, 89.3. He hasn't been bad. But he has been over the top tremendously amazing for a team that won their division last year. That's supposed to that was supposed to run away and pick the runaway and hide to win the AFC South. He has had a very pedestrian season this year, and for a quarterback who was going to be shortly due for you know to, with his handout wanting a contract extension and a pay raise from the Jaguars, and within a season or two or three. He's got to give me better than the mid. And the mid was 17 of 29, 185, two interceptions and sacked five times. He's got to he's got to do better than that. For a quarterback that was praised and was talked about at the top of his draft class when he came out of Clemson, he's got to do better than produce the mid that he has for the Jacksonville Jaguars, in which, you know, 20 points against Pittsburgh, three points. On the three points on Sunday, he scored uh, nine points week two against Kansas City, 17 against the Texans. He's got to do better than that. He has to. They've only scored 30 points as an offense only three times against Indianapolis twice and against the Saints. That's not good enough. He's got he's got to he's got to do better now. And Press Taylor, offensive coordinator. I mean, talk about uh, talk about. Uh, the apple not falling far from the tree and uh, and being a what's the I mean, he's a carbon copy of his brother. And and I forget the idiom that's on the tip of my tongue, but I can't put it together in my head. But Press Taylor, the offensive coordinator for Jacksonville, not doing him any favors. They like Cincinnati, too many plays out of the shotgun and empty set, which those two. Uh, which the two brothers absolutely love. Abandon the run like his brother does in Cincinnati. What else is new? 
a total of 17 carries for 59 yards on the ground. Travis Etienne, your rusher who you drafted, who was Lawrence's teammate out of Clemson, only got nine carries for 35 yards on the ground. Lawrence threw the football 29 times. It's just not good enough. Again, ad infinitum, you cannot expect to be productive offense on a week-in, week-out basis when you're one-dimensional and you just refuse to run the football and you make it known to your opposing defense, hey, I'm going to throw the football, shotgun, empty set, pin your pass rushers back, and, and and I got two seconds to get the ball out of my hand or it's going to be your ass. And that's, that's what happened with Jacksonville. Empty set, shotgun, ad infinitum. They abandoned the run. Colin, when he, we had him on, uh, at the beginning of the season in September and October, I believe it was October when we had him on, he told us this, Press Taylor, same crap. He pulls, his brother pulls up in Cincinnati. And they couldn't convert on third downs. And why in the world they decided to throw the ball on third and one, especially out of shotgun, which I can't stand, when they're down 17 points, 23 San, 20 to 3 San Francisco, when they had the ball at San Francisco's 34-yard line with 10.45 to go in the third quarter, I have absolutely no idea. Drag routes covered. Running back runs his choice route five yards behind the line of scrimmage. It's just a, a play just went to hell. And and as a result, it, Lawrence, does he throw it away or run the ball? No. Instead, throws an interception, and the drive goes up in smoke. Horrendous game by the Jacksonville Jaguars, 34-3 final score. Game number three, Lions and the Chargers. Um, and listen, it's the same thing. It's the same shit different toilet with Brandon Staley. Did he have a mind? Did he commit a mind numbing mistake? Did he do something that was over the top, egregious, or asinine in the game? No, he did. But it's still the same story with with the with the L.A. Chargers under his watch. They can't stop the run. They ran for 200 yards on the ground. David Montgomery, 12 carries, a buck 16, averaging 9.7 yards per rushing attempt and a touchdown. Jameer Gibbs, 14 carries, 77 yards on the ground, ran for two touchdowns. Same story with his defense, and specifically the team's heinous inability to uh, uh, of not knowing how to stop the run. It's just it's it's become a theme with Staley and his defense at this point. Again, no mind-numbing, head-scratching decisions, going for it when not to go for it, going for two instead of kicking the extra point, kicking the field goal instead of going for it and vice versa. He didn't make any of those mistakes but because his offense played well and largely in part. But again, offense, or excuse me, defense out the lunch, golf, 333 passing yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions, no sacks, no pass rush, Bosa is overrated. Khalil Mack is washed. They can't stop the run. Amaras St. Brown, eight receptions for a buck fifty-six, averaging nineteen and a half yards per catch and a touchdown plus a touchdown to boot. It's same story with Brandon Salian's defense. Same story. Off missed the defensive guru, defensive genius from from you know that learned at the altar of Sean McVay, and he, and his defense again can't stop a nosebleed. Despite the fact that the Lions were only four of 13 on third downs, couldn't stop a nosebleed. 533 total yards of offense. They ran for over 200 yards on the ground. No turnovers. Just awful. Absolutely awful. And again, I sit here on a Tuesday on this program asking the age-old question, why in the hell is this man still employed?
It's, 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 it's the same story, different day, different month, different opponent, different game, same damn result. When are the Spanos is going to wake up, pull their heads out of their ass, and get a clue? I have absolutely no idea when. But um, now, I just, I have no idea when. He made the right call still to go for it on fourth, the one when he had the ball Detroit's 38-yard line, down 7, 38, 31, 3, 41 to go in the fourth quarter. It was the right call, deciding to go for it. You need touchdowns, not field goals. Smart decision. Keeps his offense out there on the field. They convert. Keenan Allen gets the game-tying touchdown. Kellen Moore called a great game. I mean, the the outside of only kick outside of getting outscored uh 10-3 in the first quarter when only mustered up a field goal and the Lions got a touchdown. The the Chargers practically damn near played a perfect game offensively. Herbert had a great game. Uh, 323 passing yards, four touchdowns, one interception, no sacks. Uh, they didn't run the ball great, but one terrible. Keenan Allen went off, had a sensational game uh, when he, especially dealing with the shoulder injury, which which uh, which bothered him in the second half. Fourteen targets, eleven receptions, one hundred seventy-five receiving yards, and two touchdowns for him on the for him on the afternoon. I mean, I mean you, you can't nitpick outside of again three getting outscored ten three in the first quarter. 38 points should be good enough to win to win any football game at the high school level, college level, damn skippy at the NFL level. 38 points offensively is should be good enough to win the game. Should be. When when the Chargers racked up 421 total yards of offense, 38 points, that should be good enough to, to win football games. But when Brandon Staley, your quote-unquote defensive guru, and your defensive-minded head coach allows the Lions to gain more yardage than you do and to, and get themselves in a position where Jared Goff has, you know, throws for 333, two touchdowns, and then Montgomery runs for a buck 16, and Jameer Gibbs-Montgomery combined run for two touchdowns, and they run for 200 yards on the ground, what do you expect? What do you expect? Dan Campbell, tremendous, ballsy, ballsy, gutsy, whatever you want to call it, decision, but the right one to go for it. It took a lot of risk and a lot of cojones to do it, but to go for it on fourth and two with a buck 47 to go in the fourth quarter when they had the ball at Detroit's 26-yard line when the game was tied at 38 apiece. And knowing that the Chargers had only one timeout remaining, that a that a first down essentially in all likelihood ends the game with with the Chargers being only able to stop the clock once, tremendous decision by by uh, by Dan Campbell. He knew his defense in all likelihood was going to surrender at the at the least a game at best case scenario a game tying field goal. Worst case scenario, the game-winning touchdown. If he sent his offense, or excuse me, if he sent his defense out there on the field with a minute and change and the timeout remaining for Los Angeles, if he kicks the field goal there on fourth and two to go up 41-38 with time left on the clock, but he knew that he kept that in the back of his head. He knew that, so he said, "Listen, I can't." put myself in a position for us to lose this game. Our defense has essentially not gotten a stop all day long. They've had a horrendous day. Our offense is better than our defense. Our best defense is our offense, keeping Herbert and the crew on the sidelines, milk the clock, win the time of possession battle, which they did, 30 30 minutes and 34 seconds to 29-26. They have one timeout left. 
We get this first down. We milk the clock, milk it down to five seconds or less, gives ourselves a chip shot field goal to make the put the game for us to win the game. And Herbert and the crew don't see the field again for the remainder of the game. That's what happened. Went for it on fourth and two. They got it. Made sure Goff and his offense made sure that they converted the that they converted on fourth down with the receiver inbounds to continue to keep the clock running, knowing that it essentially ended the game. They took knees. LA is only able to stop the clock once. Sets up a game-winning field goal. They kick it, make it 41-38 final score. Detroit seven and two, with the one seed still in play with the one lone in-conference loss to Seattle in week two. And I think part of the genius and the brilliance and the unique quality of Dan Campbell is that he thinks like a football player. Not Not like a quarterback, not like a coach, but like a football player. He makes decisions off of non-conventional feel that makes sense from his perspective as an ex-tight end. Not an ex-quarterback. Not someone that's been an offensive coordinator and a quarterback coach and a passing game coordinator and a head coach you know, at the high school at collegiate. No. He makes decisions off of his gut, off of feel, his non-conventional feel, that makes sense from his perspective as an ex-tight end. What that he played a gritty, not to say that the quarterback isn't a gritty position, but you know what I mean. It's a gritty, grind them out, hard-nosed, blue-collar-esque type of position. You get the glitz and glamour of the wide receiver, the quarterback, the running back, because you get to catch the ball, you score touchdowns, but you're blocking, you're big. You got you learn you're learning the 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 nuts and bolts the dirty work assignments that aren't sexy the blocking techniques on runs pass protection oh by the way you got to learn the route tree know how to catch the ball run after the catch run an open field things along that nature so he he gets it because he's that Swiss he's the football player the tight ends are the Swiss Army knife of the of the team. And he gets that and he understands that, which allows him to make those non-conventional decisions, coaching decisions, like going forward on fourth and two with 147 to go in the fourth quarter, bypassing the field goal at that moment in time because conventionally it says fourth down, tie game, well within field goal range late in the fourth quarter, you kick the field goal. He says, no, 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 no. I'm going to kick the field goal, but, I'm, but the time to kick it is not now. It's later. And him not being a cookie-cutter head coach that once was a quarterback in his past football life allows him to do that, which can be his greatest strength and that sometimes can be his greatest obstacle and his biggest obstacle. But you give MCDC credit because it was a hell of a decision. And then the thing also, non-conventional. Typically, when you think, especially in 2023, you think non-conventional decision-making with coaches, you think what? Slave to the analytics. But he's not a slave to the analytics per se, or not even a little bit. He's not a slave to the analytics. He just thinks outside. He still goes off a of feel. He still goes off of the eye test, what his eyes, what his brain, what his gut tells him to do. 
but he's going at that from a different perspective, which is refreshing to see. Very refreshing to see. And as a result, the Lions are 7-2 and two with one conference loss in the NFC, still in first place in the North with the Bears, the Packers, the Saints, the Bears, the Broncos, the Vikings, the Cowboys, and the Vikings left on their schedule. Their toughest games are against the Vikings as of right now, the Broncos, who are, and it's a home game for them as of right now, and the Cowboys, week 17. The Cowboys are the toughest game, and it's not to the second last week in a regular season. And by that time, depending on what happens, the Lions could have not only just have the their division locked up, but also could also have the the one seed locked up at the same time. And it's funny, the one time the Lions are must-watch television and are the premier team to watch on Thanksgiving, at least I think they are more so than San Francisco and more so than the Dallas Cowboys, the one time they're on, they, you know, the, you're excited to watch them at 1230, they're playing a bad team. They're playing Green Bay. They're playing Green Bay. Sucks. Honestly, it does. And if I was the NFL schedule makers at the time, I would have found a way. You know what I would have done? I would have... I don't know how they would have done it. Did they put the Broncos on Thanksgiving? I mean... I would have at least thought. I understand they went Packers because of rivalry, history, all that nonsense. I don't know. Because they don't have a lot. I mean, put C. I mean, because you put Seattle, but then who would San Francisco would have played? Have San Francisco host Cincinnati, host the Ravens on Thanksgiving. I understand they host the Ravens on Christmas, but host, have them host Cincinnati, have them host. Um, host Baltimore Thanksgiving. I don't know. All I'm saying is I would have rather have seen, I'd have liked to seen Detroit have the opportunity to see Detroit play a better opponent than the anemic Green Bay Packers. That's that's the overall point that I'm making. But the Lions get the job done, improved to seven and two. And finally, the Monday night game last night, Broncos and Bills. Let me begin with Josh Allen's turnover problems first, okay? He is going from top five quarterback to mid. I tweeted this last night. He is going from a top five quarterback to mid at a rapid, rapid pace. Inaccurate throws, interceptions thrown left and right like like their pancakes on sale at IHOP. It's a problem. Josh Allen leads the league with three or more turnovers in a, in consecutive games since 2018. Ten games with three or more turnovers since 2018, including the playoffs. He now has the Bills, I believe he has the Bills record, franchise record. Most consecutive games with a turnover. 15 of 26, 127, excuse me, 177, one touchdown, pa- one touchdown pass, 
two interceptions. He has the most turnovers in the NFL in the last two seasons with 33. That's more than Trevor Lawrence with 27. Again, going back to mid with him and more than Kirk Cousins with 26. He's got 33 turnovers in the last two seasons. 33. He has had at least a share of the league lead in passing touchdowns and interceptions. That's the seventh time since the 70 merger a quarterback has led in both categories week 10 or later. He has thrown an interception in six consecutive games, a longest streak by a Bills starting quarterback since 2011. Not good enough. Not good enough. That's losing football. And I understand it's not a game of game of perfection. Blah, blah, blah. Interceptions happen. They're not human. There's they're good players on the opposite side of football on opposing defenses. But when the turnovers collect in bulk and it becomes a consistent thing, a consistent storyline, a consistent narrative, whatever you want to call it, when it when they pack up in bulk and he racks in the interceptions in bulk like this. It becomes a thing for it's interception. All right, it happens. Move on. I game profession. Wash, rinse, repeat, whatever. It goes from that to an item of concern to a trend that gets you on a one-way ticket, one-way plane ride to Cancun for the winter and spring. He's got to stop. Josh Allen on the season. His completion percentage is at 70%, which is a positive, but he's got 19 touchdowns, 11 interceptions. He's got to cut down on the turnovers. You can't win football games in the National Football League, especially the deeper and deeper you get into the season, turning over the football ad infinitum on a multiple, on a multitude of a basis, the way he has, you just can't do it. And expect the win. You just can't do it. You just can't do it. Now, my thing with the Buffalo and their issues stem from Sean McDermott. The Buffalo Bills, yet again, are... Poorly ran, poorly coached, flat, uninspired, dead, devoid of a pulse, devoid of energy, devoid of an identity. And it falls at the feet of Sean McDermott. Falls at the feet of Sean McDermott. From Hale Murray to 13 seconds, to when they couldn't get the ball snapped off in time in Miami last September, or September 2022, I should say, to the Viking collapse, 4th and 18, the botched quarterback snap after the defensive goal line stand that got recovered in the end zone by the Vikings for a touchdown on their last breath, as Joe Davis uh, famously called a year ago yesterday, actually, as a matter of fact. 
from Xavier Gibson's run back week one against the Jets in overtime to Mac Jones' game-winning drive, game-winning touchdown pass to Mike Gusecki in the back of the end zone to not 12, but 13 men on the field last night. At some point in time, Sean McDermott has to point the mirror at himself and do some self-evaluation and has to say, where am I going wrong? Am I the problem with why this team is at five and five? Why this team has not gotten to a Super Bowl in their multitude of opportunities since we've reintroduced ourselves to playoff football with Josh Allen at quarterback since the 2019 season. At some point, it's got to be not the fact that he misses, not the fact that Josh Allen misses Brian Dayball, not Ken Dorsey, not Leslie Frazier. At some point, it's got to be Sean McDermott. At some point, It's got to be Sean McDermott. He threw Leslie Frazier under the bus. He controls the defense. Defense gets taken to the woodshed by Cincinnati. Gets taken to the woodshed. Allows Russell Wilson to basically dink and dunk and pick apart the defense. Defense played well, all things considered. But still, Russell Wilson had a solid game last night. Outside of the ill-advised sacks, and the Cortland Sutton play, which I get to momentarily. The Patriots damn near hung 30 points on them. The, they, they were, Jacksonville had their way against them. They let Zach Wilson march down the field to set up a game-tying field goal in week one. When, at, is, when is it at some point Do we stop deflecting? Do we stop playing the blame game? Do we stop cooking up excuses for Sean McDermott? At some point, it's him. I've been on this show ad infinitum, reciting chapter and verse his playoff failures. Even the one where he had Tyrod Taylor as his quarterback and his team lost a playoff game to Blake Bortles. In 2017, at some point, it's got to be Sean McDermott. Does Josh Allen have a turnover problem? You're damn right he does. Can he be inaccurate and have too much zip on his passes? You're damn right he can. Has he fallen out of sync with getting Stephon Diggs the ball? You're damn right. Outside of Stephon Diggs, does he have much to work with offensively? They don't give Dalton Kincaid the ball enough. Dawson Knox drops passes. Gabe Davis drops passes. We've established that. Latavius Murray, is he a washed running back that shouldn't see the field? Absolutely. James Cook has problems, but does he have issues with ball security? Yes, he does. But even in that, that falls on the head and shoulders of the head coach. If you're not, I say it ad infinitum, and I'll say it with every team that gives me an opportunity to say this, and I'll say it so I'm blue in the face. With turnovers, with penalties, if you're not coaching it, 
you damn Skippy are condoning it. And Sean McDermott is condoning these mistakes if he's not coaching it. You're either coaching or condoning your defense getting up a fourth and 18. Coaching or condoning fumbles, interceptions, run punt, punts getting run back for touchdowns. Hail Mary's getting converted against you in the closing seconds of a fourth quarter of a tight game in the fourth quarter. You're either coaching this or you're condoning it. And Sean McDermott, who's the head coach and the head man is in charge, has got to stop pointing the finger, playing the blame game, and take some personal responsibility in the shortcomings of the Buffalo Bills. Because again, last night, the team started out flat, deadheaded, uninspired, first play from scrimmage. James Cook puts the ball on the ground. Puts the ball on the ground. Allen threw, threw two interceptions. And the Bills fumbled three times. Three times. Five turnovers. And if the Denver Broncos offense was above average, or above whatever they were last night, the Bills would have gotten their doors blown off by halftime. McDermott is running out of scapegoats. Leslie Frazier ain't there to blame. There's only, but so many times you can say, well, Allen misses, misses uh, Brian Dayball. This is the NFL. This is a business. You're not going to have the same offensive coordinator throughout your entire NFL career. Mahomes hasn't. Brady hasn't. Rodgers hasn't. Only a matter of time, Joe Burrow's not going to have the same OC throughout his entire NFL career. Lamar Jackson hasn't. It's the way it is. Find a way to win in spite of his favorite little offensive coordinator being there. Brian Dable not being there shouldn't result, and this is Allen and McDermott's problem hand-in-hand, hand, shouldn't result in him becoming no Dable, him just turning into a damn turnover machine. But McDermott's running out of scapegoats. At some point, the Buffalo Bills, GM Brandon Bean, and ownership in the Pagoulas have to wake the hell up, pull their head out of their asses, and see that Sean McDermott is the problem. He is, it's a problem glaring, a glaring problem, a glaring weakness that's staring him dead in the face. When is the Bills organization, the Pagulas who cut the checks, who cut the checks, who are the owners, and Brandon being the GM, when do they pull their heads out of their asses and say, McDermott's the problem? Dorsey's out the door, they threw him to the Wolves. What was it, Dorsey's fault that it had 13 men on the field? On Will Lutz's wide right, missed field goal? 
I understand Ken Dorsey isn't Dayball, and he doesn't mesh, and he doesn't flow, and, and, and he doesn't make Josh Allen tingle, and he's not Don Coriel. I get that. But enough with the bullshit excuses. Enough with the scapegoats. Enough's enough. Allen's got a turnover problem, and Sean McDermott cannot win a Super Bowl for and with the Buffalo Bills. He doesn't inspire. He doesn't motivate. His teams are flat, mistake-prone. They drop passes. They fumble the football. They're sloppy in crunch time in tight games in the fourth quarter. Fourth and 18, Hale Murray, the scramble in Miami last year. 13 men on the field last night. Xavier Gibson's run back. Zach Wilson's final drive to get him in the field goal range. This guy's supposed to be a defensive coach, Mr. I like Staley to a certain degree, Mr. Defensive Guru. Now every single time I turn around, it's his defense that's dropping the ball at the end of these games. Mr. Genius calling a cover zero. All-out blitz on back-to-back plays. It gets home and knocks down out of field goal range. Great. You already accomplished your goal to zero blitz. Why are you calling it again for Russ Wilson to see it pre-snap, which he did? Guy's been in the league since 2012. What do you think? He's, what do you, what do you, what do you think? He's, he's Will Levis? Wake up. He sees it and says, okay, fine, perfect. Four verticals, no safety back deep. O-line give me a second and a half to get this pass off. And if I'm lucky, it'll either fall into the breadbasket and we'll have a first down inside the 10-yard line. Or, like what happened, the defensive back takes the bait and draws the defensive pass interference to give Denver a reset, of, a fresh set of downs and to move the ball into ship shot field goal range for Will Lutz. Or, or into field goal range, period. For Will Lutz. Enough with the scapegoats. You threw Leslie Flazier to the Wolves. Now Dorsey. At some point, it's Sean McDermott. Allen has his issues. I'm aware of that. We've understood that. He's slowly but surely going from top five quarterback to mid right before our very eyes. He's going from a guy that gets compared and talked about to the likes of Patrick Mahomes to a guy that you got to debate who's actually a better quarterback right now, who would you rather have right now, C.J. Stroud or Josh Allen, which I've seen people have the conversations today. But the problems with the Bills, like similar with the Ravens, it's bigger than the quarterback's mistakes. That's a problem. It it doesn't help the issue. But the overriding flaws and deep-rooted issues with the Ravens, with Harbaugh, and the same thing with Buffalo. The, 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 the big picture ain't the quarterback. The big picture is the head coach. Allen wasn't on the field for 13 seconds. Allen wasn't on the field. When his defense let Mac Jones march down the field in New England. 
Allen wasn't on the field when Xavier Gibson mar- took, took the punt back for a walk-off touchdown or when Zach Wilson marched down the field in the closing seconds to, uh, to set up a game-tying field goal. Josh Allen wasn't on the field for the Kyler Murray Hail, Hail Mary pass and catch by DeAndre Hopkins to beat him in the COVID season. He wasn't on the field for 13, for 13 men on the field. Or Johnson's pass interference play, a, a play or two before. McDermott, Mr. Defense, wanted to take the reins from Leslie Frazier. At some point, when is his feet going to get held to the when are his feet going to get held to the damn fire? At what point? And it's ironic, the guy, the, 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 the position coach who should be thrown to the wolves is his damn special teams coach. How do you get 13 men on the field for a damn field goal block unit? Why wasn't the field goal block unit on the field to begin with when Russell Wilson ran, ran the QB, ran, kneeled the ball on third down? It's a special teams unit that allowed that to happen. Last night, the Gibson run back, the squib kick in the Chief game. Special teams. So the one coach that should be thrown out on his ass, he doesn't do it. Leslie Frazier gets thrown to the wolves and Ken Dorsey gets, gets made like he's out to be Greg Roman for crying out loud. At some point, the buck stops with him. He's the head coach. My goodness gracious. Give the Broncos credit, though. Wilson, excellent game. Uh, it's despite the ill-advised sacks that he took, especially the one that originally knocked him out of field goal range there on the final drive. He had the bad throw to Cortland Sutton was wide open if he Hits Cortland Sutton earlier near near the near the uh, far sideline. If he hits him earlier in his route, he's wide open, catches the ball, easily runs upfield, gets the first down, and who knows how much more. Instead, he waits, he waits, he waits. He underthrows the ball, bad throw. Sutton has to come back to the, run forward towards back towards the line of scrimmage to catch the ball. Doesn't secure it properly. Gets knocked out of his arms, out of his hands. Gets the gets the fumble, which could have been the coup de grace for Denver, and it wasn't. Uh, I give the Denver Broncos defense tremendous credit, also as well. They bounced back from their seventy point debacle against the Miami Dolphins. Uh, and throughout their three game win streak, they've allowed uh, sixteen. They've allowed uh, sixteen uh, points scored per game by the opposing offense. That's the best in the NFL throughout this three week period. Sean Payton has his team. I give him tons of credit. You know, he got uh, – he looked horrendous. The 70-point 70, the debacle, he gets stood up and he gets uh, – and he, and he gets humbled by Nathaniel Hackett and the Jets. But it has not uh, – but as it has not uh, killed him or his team's spirit. They've done a sensational job bouncing back. Uh, from a from what was a rough October on the on the front end, and they've had a very good late October into early November. 
although they should have kicked the field goal on third down to give themselves an opportunity in case of a botch snap and in case they were to have a delay a game penalty because they couldn't get all, you know, they to cover your own hide, you want to run, you want to have your field goal team on the field on third down in case of a botch snap, whatever the case might be, penalties, you just never know. You want to run your field goal unit on the field if you can on third down instead of playing with fire and going hurry up on fourth especially considering that Buffalo had no had no if they get the ball with 20 seconds left and you're up 24 22 and Buffalo has no timeouts left what what does it matter if they get the ball with 20 some seconds left down two you'll take your defense played relatively well the entire night and now it's thrown two interceptions you take your chances but they played with fire and due to the Buffalo Bills uh, and after poor coaching and self-inflicted, uh, self-inflicted uh, mistakes and uh, and mind-numbing ineptitude, they were able to escape danger. As the Denver Broncos get their third one in a row, they're four and five. They win on Monday Night Football by the final score of twenty-four to twenty-two. And the final thing before I circle back to the Bengals in their Thursday night game against the Ravens, the final thing that annoyed me over the weekend is Michigan. I I, I was amazed. I was floored, flabbergasted, and was and just I, I was at a loss for words at the level of arrogance, of pridefulness, of 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 intellectually dishonest. I I this I'm at a I'm staring I'm stunned because I could not believe it. I couldn't believe it that the Michigan Wolverines and the University of Michigan collection of their the University of Michigan community, the students, alumni. Fans of their foot of their sports teams, their football, t- their football program, boosters, uh, former players, which I also files underneath alumni. I couldn't believe it. The amount of people that were getting on their high horse on Twitter, on national television, in print. I could not believe the amount of people that stood up on their soapbox. And had the temerity, the audacity, the chutzpah, and the unmitigated, unspeakable gall, gall, to stand up and defend the bullshit that went up and that went up and went down in Ann Arbor, Michigan. I couldn't believe it. The, the, the how you can't. It, it was they were so defensive. And so angry, and so hostile, and 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 so unbecoming with their defense of Harbaugh and their program. They 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 were it was like they were devoid from reality. They were so out of touch and so delusional and so deluded. It was like, what planet were these guys on? What planet were these guys on? And I love the argument that I heard. They have nothing against us. It holds no weight. Um, They have nothing on us. 
It's a hoax. It's a wish hunt, which is now everybody's favorite word when somebody's feet gets held to the fire. Be you know because of cheating or because of breaking rules to get in advance. It's everybody's favorite word now. It's hoax and witch hunt. The names just get thrown out there, you know, just out of the clear blue sky. How is it a hoax or a witch hunt or a witch hunt? I should say or a story about nothing made about about nothing, overblown, over 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 calculated, overrated. How is it all of those things? When there was 65 people, 65 people involved in a calculated multi-year scheme going to all sorts of different college football games and different, various different states, scouting different teams. How is it a thing? What do they do? What do they actually cook this up and pull it out of their ass the big time? What do you mean there's nothing to it? There's 65 people involved in this thing. We have video of the guy at the Central Michigan, Michigan State game wearing sunglasses, wearing the wearing the video recording black Ray-Ban sunglasses during a night game. What do you mean there's, there's no merit to it? No merit to it, my ass, no merit to it. You think we're just making this up? Not everybody hates Michigan. The complex with you people. And even if it was for a conversation, a, 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 a one-off, some guy that worked under Harbaugh that somehow miraculously is able to fly all across Big Ten country to go scout these games when he's, when he's making chop change, twerk as a little assistant, for the for the Michigan program, even for the sake of conversation, you want to sit back and say it's the guy that went rogue. Nothing to it. It's Harbaugh's program. He didn't pay for these trips to go to these games out of his own out of his own dime. That's that's been documented. He it's his program. He knows the practice schedule. He knows the itinerary for road trips, the itinerary for game day, the itinerary for workouts, film study. I mean, it's, I mean, these D1A college football teams, the way, how, the, how the in season, how it's ran, it's the equivalent of being in, a mil, being in, in, in an army or a navy boot camp. Every I is dotted. T is crossed. The most minute things are accounted for and documented. I mean, it is like to a T. For college football at that level, at that school, in that conference. It is, and I know it's strict for the D1 AA schools. I know it's strict, you know, for for, you know, uh, for Akron, for Morgan, for, um, you know, for, for, for University of Wyoming, for Miami of Ohio. I know it is a kick in the ass at Michigan, 
Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, Oregon, UCLA, USC, Colorado for that matter. I know it's a it's a detailed kick in the ass for everyone involved with that program. So the idea that it that it's a that it's some guy that went rogue and Harbaugh has nothing to do with it. It's a bunch of freaking nonsense. It's a bunch of hogwash and a bunch of malarkey. It's college, not the NFL. The buck stops with him. And even the NFL, they didn't let Belichick get away with Spygate and Deflategate. It's his theme. How detailed. You can't be known as a detail-oriented coach that has every I dotted, T's crossed, and, and have your calling card be that you're a stickler to make sure every rule is followed, everything is everything within your program, everything within your football team is held up to your standards, and then have a cheating scandal break out and then say, and then wash your hands and brush your hands. Oh, I got nothing to do with it. It ain't me. It's some guy that went wrong. It's some I have no idea. I had no clue. No text messages. No, no intel. No, no it doesn't work that way. Doesn't work that way. He's the adult in the room, head coach, head of the program, getting paid a fortune. He should know. If he didn't, he should. The buck stops with him. Case closed. And the idea, well, Michigan was wrong, and how dare they suspend Harbaugh on the plane of Happy Valley? First off, and this is what's news to me. Michigan waited. Waited and waited and waited and waited and waited and waited and waited. To the 11th hour to give the Big Ten information. Along with the NCAA. So they could figure out what the hell they were going to do with Harbaugh. They waited until the 11th hour. Because they dug their heels in. They got stubborn. They got belligerent. And they said, uh, fine, here, take it. Get out of my face. So as a result, you wait till the 11th hour. Harbaugh takes his punishment at the 11th hour. It's the way it is. You don't like it? Maybe you, maybe you, maybe be more, um, be more accommodating out on the front end of the, of the investigation. So you don't get the, so you don't get the foot up your ass in the back end. Maybe just maybe. But what the hell do I know? And then another thing that I couldn't take. The idea that Jim Harbaugh, you know, he he's being exiled into the Michigan State Penitentiary. I I, I got that notion from the from the Michigan stands, which is nothing but which is nothing but a but a bunch of crock. Okay. He got suspended the rest of the regular season. Okay, Michigan is going to make the college football playoff. They're going to play in the Big Ten championship game. They're going to play and have an opportunity to go to a national championship and win a national championship. Okay, so this is not throw away the key, suspended rest of the postseason, rest of the season, you know, and and we'll see you September of 2024. Uh Uh-uh. He got suspended the rest of the regular season. And like what they did on the front end when he got suspended with the whole cheeseburger thing, which was a joke, they have that weird-ass loophole where he's around, where he's allowed to be around the team 
essentially Sunday through Friday, he's allowed to attend and direct meetings. He's allowed to have his fingerprints all over the game plan. He's allowed to meet with the team. He's allowed to conduct practice. He's allowed to speak to the media from the team facility. He's allowed to do everything, but yet game time, he, he, he can't touch the stadium on game days, which I find to be dumb and counterintuitive because, and everybody knows this when it comes to especially football, the work you do the week leading up to your game sometimes holds more weight than the work you do during the game. Anybody can figure out how to you how to call a timeout, when to call a timeout, when you know when to when to challenge, when not to challenge, when to kick a field goal, when not to kick a field goal, punt versus going for it, and vice versa. When to punt to pin the team back deep inside their own 10-5 yard line. When to kick the extra long. Anybody, anybody that's that knows football at some general basis level can do that. It's the work that gets done during the week is why they get paid the amount of money that, that these football coaches get paid. Hell, I can go out there and, and, and you know, dressed in a Bengals sweatshirt and a Bengals cap with a headset on and, uh, and, and send the Bengals out there on the field and basically just get stand there and watch the game for three hours, know when to call my timeouts, know when to punt, when to go for it, when to punt, when to kick a field goal, when to kick a field goal, when to go for it. Screaming, yell at the officials at a bad call. Hell, I can do that for Bengals games. For Bengals games every single day. Can I hold a team meeting? Know how to run a practice? Put together the itinerary for a team practice? Talk to the media and have a, basically a photographic memory of every single play from the game or games prior in our season. Have the attention span to watch film and to study it and to break it down hour upon hour upon hour. Studying the studying the tendencies of offensive linemen, defensive linemen, the quarterback, the running back, tight end, the wide receivers, play calling. And oh, by the way, here are the tendencies of the officiating crew that you have this week. That's the difficult shit. And in the Big Ten, some house away, they let Harbaugh do that throughout the remainder of the regular season. Which, if I was a Michigan fan, I'd keep my damn mouth shut and look at that as a fucking victory. So what? He gets suspended on the plane ride to Happy Valley. Who cares? You don't like it, baby? You don't cheat. You flirt with the rules. Oh, well, what happened to due process? What happened? I thought this was America. Uh, what happened to due process? What happened to innocent before you proven guilty? Hey, guys, this is not the U.S. court of law, okay? This is cheating underneath the confines of college football. This isn't a U.S. federal case. This isn't a, 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 a state case within the state of Michigan. This is not OJ. This is not the this is not the damn Kennedy assassination. This is sports. This is cheating. It's 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 breaking a concrete rule that is stated in the rule book. What is he on trial for double murder? Give me a break. Due process my ass. You break the rules, you subject yourself to the mercy 
of the people in charge. In this case, the Big Ten, the NCAA. You don't like it? Don't break the damn rules. Simple. I'm so tired of this. The students, the ones that cheat and break the rules, the, the punishment gets handed down to them, and yet somehow, way in their deluded minds, they think they're the victim in all of this. How about the teams that got screwed over and didn't have a chance in hell to beat Michigan anyway? How about them and their feelings and them being victimized? Having their, the security of, the, of their football program breached? How about that? Ever, you ever been cheating? And I'm not talking about cheating in terms of relationships, cheating. I'm talking about cheating within the confines of a competition or in school. Somebody ever cheated against you within, within the confines of, of, a, of a test, a project, or anything competitive within the nature of sports or dance or, or otherwise? Doesn't feel too good. What about those people being victims? Oh, P. Little Michigan State, how dare they? How dare they suspend the Michigan, the Michigan man, Harbaugh, the Michigan man? How dare they suspend? Oh, shut the hell up! Give me a, give me a break, please, please. Harbaugh will live. He's alive and well, going about, he still's got breath in his lungs and blood throughout his body, doesn't he? Praise be to God, doesn't he? His family still has him. They can still pick up the phone, dial his number, and pick up and have a conversation with Jim Harbaugh, right? He didn't coach the, he didn't coach the Penn State game. We'll all live. The world will still, the world will still keep on spinning. What are they, what does these Michigan people think that Jim Harbaugh's bigger than life? Please, for a head coach that, again, not for the 90th time, has done absolutely nothing in his tenure at Michigan. Took him forever to figure out how to beat Ohio State, and we probably probably ended up learning that he had to cheat in order to beat Ohio State, a team that he could never beat for years on end. I don't hear Well, he wants Big Ten championships. Oh, who cares? I give a damn about winning that weak-ass Big Ten conference. It's him, Ohio State, and then a bunch of scrubs. Penn State can't be big teams. Iowa's offense is from the 1860s. Stop it. He'll live if he doesn't coach the Penn State game. He'll live if he doesn't when he doesn't coach the game at College Park this weekend. And he'll live if 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 he doesn't miss the Battle of Armageddon, then how dare you think that this is not some some world-altering, humanity-changing, put down whatever you're doing and stop and watch event that is Ohio State versus Michigan. He will live if he's not coaching Ohio State-Michigan Saturday of Thanksgiving Day weekend. He's not Jesus Christ. He's a football coach. Was he thinking he's above the law and above getting suspended? Give me a break. So sick of it.
hearing all of these defensive Michigan people. It drove me freaking crazy. Then I read on Twitter, J.J. McCarthy tweet out, bet. Bet what? Bet what? When it, where's your national championship ring? Goes out there and tweets, bet. And then on Saturday afternoon, a feeble seven of eight for 60 yards passing and a sack. Bet, bet these nuts, J.J. McCarthy. Bet that. My goodness gracious. And then I and then I got the interim head coach, Sharon Moore, crying crying like a child after the game. Talking about this is John Hobo, this is for Jim Hobo, I love you, man. With the with the freaking crocodile tears. What the hell is this? Mississippi burning? Give me a give me a break. What is this? What is this? What, what is this? Is this real life? This is, what is, what is it? Come on! This isn't this is, this is Dr. King assassination, brother. Get a grip. You'll see him at the hotel bar after the game. Holy crap! He's sitting here crying. What, what, is he in, what is he in the ICU? With, with a terminal illness? Come on, people. Get a grip. Like 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 your like your your your, your, your rapper son, Eminem said, "Snap back to reality for a change. Come back to us. It ain't it ain't that deep. It's not that serious." He had suspended three games and he'll be back for the Big Ten championship game. All it is for a coach that literally has has done nothing for them. Nobody cares about the Big Ten championships, and nobody. Uh, in the other 48 states cares about Ohio State and Michigan. You don't hang a banner for that. That's just bragging rights. They'd be like me walking around saying, oh, hey, huh, Joe Burrow, man, he, he swept the Pittsburgh Steelers, man. He built up on the Yeah, but where's the Super Bowl ring? I am so sick of the of the of the of the victim with the victimization of of an institution of a football team that got caught red-handed for breaking the rules. I can't believe this. You're not that important to society. I know you guys think that you are, that you think that your school's the end-all, be-all in the Big Ten, think your school's the end-all, be-all in college football, and your end-all, be-all in terms of the, in terms of the, the, the tremendously large collection of American collegiate institutions out there, but you're no bigger than any other, than any other school and any other football program, okay? You're not. You can take your arrogant attitudes, your, your, your go blue and your hashtag bet tweets, and you miss the bright side and shove them where the sun don't shine. Win a, win a national championship for a change. How about that? Not Big Ten championship beating up on Iowa or, or Indiana. No. Or beating Ohio State. Nobody cares.
win a national championship for their change. Then he can put the chefs out and say something. Because if this was Alabama, Georgia, or even to a lesser degree, Clemson, they got caught with this, I'd be killing them too. And if they were just as smug and arrogant, I'd be killing them too. But at least in the back of my mind, like I could with the Patriot fans to a certain degree say, they're wrong, they're delusional, but if they have any reason to be arrogant and any reason to be smug, they have won championships this year, this year, this year. I mean, they're a dynasty. I mean, so, I mean, with that comes, you know, you, you get a sense of entitlement and arrogance that comes alongside it too. But Michigan, it's nothing. Nothing. They get to the college football playoff every single year and fall flat on their damn face. Losing bowl games left and right. Do we have to rehash the TCU game on the Fiesta Bowl? Holy goodness. Then they had the game against Penn State. James Franklin. Oh my goodness. He 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 I he is just just the worst. I mean his quarterback LR, he he never gives us an opportunity as football fans to see if he's going to be a damn if he's a damn good college quarterback and if he's going to be a damn good NFL QB. Ten to twenty-two, rarely throws the ball, few and far in between, inaccurate, seventy passing yards, averaging three point two yards per pass play. He keeps him, you know, he, he keeps him on a leash. You can't see what he's made out of through one interception. Their offense from the Stone Ages, they run the football. I mean, if the Bengals don't run the football enough, the Penn State runs the ball too much. 35 times, a buck 64 on the ground. The fumble a la in the, in the Ohio State game at the beginning of the month uh, was, was the difference maker, was the difference maker in the game. The fumble at, uh, the fumble at, at, um, at 14-9 is just, and James Franklin is a few things. First off, the, the stupid two-point conversion play. Somebody has to tell James Franklin when the score is at okay, and I'm gonna pull up the play right now just to make sure that I'm that I'm accurate that I'm accurate um, in my in my assessment here. Okay, when the score is 24-15 with a minute 59 to go on, with a minute 59 to go in the fourth quarter, what good does it do you to go for two at 24-15? What are you gonna say? Well, you go for two and it's 24-17. Means on your final, if you get a stop and you find possession, you only need seven to tie the game. Hey, genius. You kick the extra point. You go from being down nine, which is a two-possession game, to going down eight, which is a one-possession game. If you get if you kick the extra point. And you go down, you get a start, you get the ball back, you march down the field, score a touchdown, two-point conversion, ties the game, and extends the game. And in that situation, when you're trying to make a late comeback, when you've been down double digits the entire afternoon, the key is extending the game. An extra point extends the game. A two-point conversion doesn't extend the game because when you're down nine, you go for two-point conversion, you don't get it. You're down nine with less than with less than two minutes to go with a timeout in your back pocket, which means the game is over. And he has the nerve to get pissy with the reporter in the post-game press conference, blaming the analytics. No, James, you're stupid and you stink. 
You're 0-4 against Ohio State and the University of Michigan since the start of last season. You, you never, ever win a big game. Ever. And he, like Sean McDermott, throws his offensive coordinator out to the walls and throws underneath the bus. Oh, my God in heaven. You got to be kidding me. You, you can't make it up. You can't make this up. Anyway, let us continue. Big time game, as I preluded to to begin the show. Bengals-Ravens Thursday night football. Both teams coming off of horrendous, gut-wrenching, mind-numbing, frustrating, blood-boiling losses. Ravens at home, both at home, matter of fact, for both squads. Um, Ravens, of course, losing to Cleveland, as we discussed there on the show. Cincinnati losing uh, to, to Houston via the game-winning field goal. This is a game that the Ravens have to have. I do the Ravens first uh, and do the Bengals uh, last as we say as we say goodnight. Um, this is a game that the Ravens have to have because if you look at what, not even necessarily in terms of in terms of keeping Cincinnati off their back, but look at the other. The they've lost game. They're two and two within the division. Their two losses have come each against Pittsburgh and Cleveland. They're two and two within the division, and more so even and even if Cincinnati wins this game, the mathematical chance of Cincinnati winning the division, I mean, who knows? We what we I mean, anything is possible. But if you're from a Ravens perspective, it's not even about keeping off Cincinnati, even though they're only a game and a half back out of first place. It's keeping off Pittsburgh and Cleveland because you're because the Ravens are tied in the last in the loss column with three losses with Pittsburgh and Cleveland all three of those teams have three losses the Ravens are the only team within the division that have not yet had their bye week which can play to their detriment because because obviously Cleveland and Cleveland Pittsburgh and Cincinnati will be playing on weeks in which the Ravens have the week off uh, so they're even with Cleveland and Pittsburgh in the loss column with three, and Cleveland and Pittsburgh are are both a half game out of first place, half game out of with a half game half game out of first place. Pittsburgh is two, and uh, let me let me see, let me double check that if Pittsburgh what Pittsburgh's record is in the division. Yeah, Pittsburgh would be if if Pittsburgh, if Cincinnati were to beat uh were able to beat the Ravens on Thursday night. Pittsburgh will move in the first place because they're undefeated within the division. They're, they beat the Ravens head to head and they've beaten Cleveland. They're two and zero within the division, and Cle- and and uh, Cleveland and the Ra- Now Cincinnati will still be in last place as a result because they've well, I mean, more well, well, yeah, they would be because Cincinnati would be one and two within the division, and the Ravens would be uh, would be two and three. So if the winning percentage math in my head works out correctly, the Ravens would still be, or excuse me, the Bengals would still be in last place because the Ravens would have two divisional wins to the to the to uh, would have two divisional wins, and the and the Bengals and this is because the the Bengals haven't played Pittsburgh yet is why this is the case. The Bengals only have one divisional win, and the Ravens would have two. So the Ravens, if my if I my math serves me correctly, move from first place down to third place, and Pittsburgh would hop number one at least in a virtual tie until their game this weekend, and Cleveland would move up to the two, and Cincinnati essentially would be, well, hold on. 
I guess, well, that'd be interesting because I didn't account for the fact if Cincinnati wins, they'd be six and four. Ravens would be seven and four with the split head to head. They'd both be even a loss column. But I think the Ravens would still be ahead of Cincinnati because they would have a better divisional record, two and three versus, you know, one and two. So I, I I could be wrong on this, but I believe hooker by crook win or loss Cincinnati at least heading into Sunday's action is 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 stuck or at least until the game against Pittsburgh in Week Twelve Thanksgiving weekend is still stuck in last place because of the fact that they haven't played Pittsburgh yet and their and their win hypothetically to beat Baltimore would only you know it's their it would be their first divisional win of the season and not their second or their third. But is but having the fact that they, that the Bengals are are in last place and still only a game and a half out is all the more reason why the Ravens have to and the, and they're and they're only one game ahead of them in the loss column is all the more reason why the Ravens have to win this game. They have to win this game by taking care of the football. And I've said this at and I'm all season long. The main problem with the Ravens and why I specifically on this show said that Lamar Jackson is an MVP candidate, not an MVP, MVP front runner, because he is among the league leaders in turnovers, especially with fumbles. And if there's a defense that knows how to take the ball away from you, if they can't do anything else, uh, if they can't stop the run and they give up the big plays, the one thing that they can, that they can, uh, that they can rest their head, that they can rest their uh, heads and rest their laws on is the fact they is that is the fact that they can take away the football. The Texans heading into the game on Sunday had among the had among the fewest giveaways in the National Football League. The Bengals are on a hot streak where all they do is take away the football. They lost the game, but they had three turnovers: the two fumbles, the botch snap on fourth and one, C.J. Stroud trip sack, and then the interception to Cam Taylor Britt. Which pulled the Bengals with which pulled the Bengals within a field, which led to a Joe Mixon touchdown, which pulled the Bengals within a field goal, and the Ravens have turned over the football in the Seattle game. They turned over the football in the Lion game. They turned over the foot. They turned over the football against the. They turned over the football in their losses against Pittsburgh and against Indianapolis earlier in the season. They turned over the foot. They turned over the football uh, against. Uh, they turned over the football. Last week, obviously against against Cleveland, uh, th- uh, twice. So in order for them to win this game, and you know it's going to be AFC North football, it's going to be now. I'd be some people are selling me because of the Bengals offense uh, and the flaws on the Bengals defensively. It looks like it's most likely not going to have uh, Sam Hubbard and uh, and uh, and Trey Henderson's day to day with a hyperextended knee. So I'm hearing rumblings, not from anybody within the business that would know, but in terms of the people that I talk to about this game, they're feeling and projecting the fact that this is going to be a a high scoring game. But even if it is, it's going to be it's going to be a close one, like you saw on Sunday. So possessions, when you get the football, you're going to have to score, and you're not going to be able to you know get away with if you're Baltimore putting the ball on the ground. Because Lamar and Justice Hill in the eleventh week of the season can't get their snap uh, handoffs and their and get the tra- and get the snap transfers down. They can't. They can ill afford Lamar Jackson throwing interceptions, whether those passes batted down at the line, tipped in the air at the line of scrimmage, or or getting baited by Jermaine Pratt or Logan Wilson or Cam Taylor Bread or a Woozie. They can't. They can't. They can't. They, they can't afford that. 
especially if Cincinnati's offense is struggling and it gives them a short field. They they can ill afford that. In order for the Ravens to win this game, they have to finish with exactly zero turnovers. So Giants, and I it's a tough. No, it's not. You're seven and three in first place. You have an opportunity to literally put the stake through the Bengals, not just to win a division, but possibly for their season. Don't turn over the football. You turn over the football, you lose football games. See four, three, four, five days ago against Cleveland. See the Steeler game. See the Colt game. You got away with it against Detroit and Seattle because you were because you were up by damn near thirty points at those times. You turn you were putting the ball on the ground. Now, now, can the Ravens block Cincinnati? Absolutely, they could. But in these AFC North games where the majority of them have been nip and tuck, you, you don't count on the fact that you're going to block. You, you, you strive for it, but you don't count on that. You count on it being a close game, nip and tuck, touch, uh, possession by possession, touchdown by touchdown, field goal by field goal, and any... Lapse in the offense could be the difference in the game. Keep in mind, prior to the Ravens giving up 33 points to Cleveland on Sunday, the most points they they had given up in the regular season or in the season thus thus far prior to the Cleveland game was week two against Cincinnati, and they gave up 24 points. And the Ravens' offense went had to go out out there on the field and milk the clock and work and run the clock out to prevent Cincinnati from having a chance to get the ball back, to possibly kick a game-tying field goal or score a game-winning touchdown at the end in the, in the uh, late in the fourth quarter. The two opponents that have scored the most on the Ravens' defense this year, Cleveland and Cincinnati, 30 points and – or excuse me, 33 points. I mean, you, it takes seven off of that, so it's what? 33 minus seven because of the pick six. You have 26. So 26 and 24, Cleveland and the Bengals, divisional opponents. So if, if you're a Raven fan, especially after Sunday's debacle, you don't rest, oh, we're going to blow out by 30. You root for it, but you, don't, but you don't hang your hat on that, especially in these divisional games and where both teams need it for different reasons. The Ravens need it to somehow keep the pressure on Kansas City for the, two, for the one seed and to keep the distance, keep their distance from Cleveland and Pittsburgh, who currently hold tiebreaker over Baltimore at this point. And then the Bengals need it. Then the Ravens also need it for the outside chance that the Bengals could steal the division from them at season's end. And then from a Cincinnati Bengals standpoint, they need this game. They keep their heads above water uh, for the for the push to keep to stay in the division race and to keep their heads above water for the wild card. Like I told you earlier in the show, that's a, there's, I think I said 11 teams out of the 16 in the AFC that have five wins or more through the first 10 weeks of the season. 11 teams. Bengals can ill afford to fall with five and five. They can. 
losing two games in five days with Pittsburgh with so yet to play Pittsburgh and they got Kansas City and they got and they got the Colts who's looking to try to fight their way into the playoff into the playoff dance the Vikings on the NFC side also in the month of in the month of December they they can't have it. they can't Jacksonville who needs it who needs it to 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 crush any threat and any hope of the Texans stealing division from they can't lose another game they can't they have they have to win this game Again, unfair, borderline, you can say unrealistic, but I don't give a damn about unrealistic and not fair. If you don't screw up and sleepwalk in September, you wouldn't have this problem where you have to press in November. I said it in September, and I was proven to be right. I hate the fact that I was right, but it looks like thus far I'm proven to be because the Bengals are in a position where they have to press, and they have to play every single game like it's their last. So the Bengals need this game to still have an outside chance, steal a division, avoid having a 500 record or worse divisional record, avoid dropping a 1-5 against the AFC. They, they, they need this game. They have to. Get this game, have a mini bye week, and then go back home and find a way to beat Pittsburgh on Thanksgiving weekend. So... We shall see. This is a game that they got to have it. No excuses. I, you know, no Trey Hendrickson, you know, mate, who knows day to day, hyperextended knee, Sam Hubbard with the ankle. I don't know. I, the way I look at it right now, I don't think he is going to play. T. Higgins, might as well add him to the list with the hamstring. I mean, if he's out there on the field Thursday night, I'd be shocked. But no excuses. Find a way to win the game. Take what learn from what Cleveland did, improve on what you did wrong in the in the week two game. Go to Baltimore, take their heart, take their spirit, ruin the party, and showcase yourself to America in what is going to be the Thursday night football game of the year. And go out there, go into the four one zero, your homeboys hometown, and get another and get a W. You went there in October of last year, of last season, and, and you lost to a game, lost to uh, to him by a, a via a Justin Tucker game winning field goal. Go out there, split the season series, and go back in there in prime time with them wearing the all black uniforms with Outkast performing at the halftime. Go out there and 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 take it from them. They have the capability to. Joe Burrow has that attitude. This team has gone into harsh environments before. Had that Bernie had that Bernie Mac mentality. Let me see if I can find it for you right quick. Uh, if I can find it for you right quick. Uh, stand by. I ain't scared of you, motherfuckers. They've had that attitude, you know, in games in which they are in which they're favored against against. Boy, against superior football teams on the road before, do it again. Take all the anger, the the frustration. Boyd with the drop passes, who was beside himself and uh, and crestfallen. Son. Take that anger and that frustration. Harness it and get ready to unleash it in between the white lines on Thursday night. Bengals, like I said. Don't be one-dimensional. Don't be easy. Don't have it so where Mike McDonald can tell us his, his Van Noy and his pass rushes, pin your ears back and just go after Joe Burrow and put him flat on his ass. No, you keep the defense honest. 
mixing up the run in the pass more than what you did against against Houston. When you run play action, make sure that make sure it's in that your that your play calling is 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 varied up enough to the point where the play action actually works. Protect Joe Burrow. He got hit a ton on Sunday. Can't happen again. Got to have him upright. Got to keep him healthy. Keep him off the ground. Utilize Joe Mixon. Establish the run early. Dominate time of possession. Like the one of the main reasons why you were able to beat Buffalo and able to beat San Francisco. Establish the run. Don't abandon it. Take care of the football. You're Joe Burrow. No bad interceptions. And plus territory. Defense, avoid the big plays. Keep Lamar in the pocket. Pass rush, get home best you can with no Hubbard and no Hendrickson, which me saying that, I mean, it's like I'm, I'm, I'm saying one thing. My brain is is anticipating the doom in the following breath. No pass rush, Lamar Jackson. The secondary giving up the big plays with bad secondaries. God help us. But... I don't care how you do it. I don't care what the score is. I don't care if it's 51-48 or or 3 nothing or 5-2. to two. Find a way to walk out of there late Thursday night, 6-4. and four. Find a way. And if not, you, you can start writing the obituary for the 2023 Cincinnati Bengals. Well, that will do it. That is another episode of the Amatilla Cateria's podcast in the books. If you like what you heard, new to the program, please hes- hesitate excuse me, to subscribe. Follow your boy on Twitter, Instagram, and threads at the J Shield. Be back to recap the Thursday night game coming up here in the 410 in a few days and to preview the week 11 slate on Friday's show. Y'all be blessed. Take care of yourself. Thank you for listening as always. See ya. Cause now